Hello and welcome, Pathfinders, to the Find the Path podcasts. Uh, research check. Research check. That's yeah. what I'm looking for. I was like, we call it something. Uh, research check for secrets of magic. I should have noted. I could have looked at my notes. I am your one of your two hosts today, Rick Sandage. I am joined by the illustrious Jordan Jenkins. Hey, oh. How are we doing today, Jordan? Yeah, we're doing good. I'm ready to talk about my favorite subject in Galarian, which is magic. I'm here to talk about my favorite subject, which is secrets. <laughs> that, that fits. That tracks. That works pretty well. Uh, so, yeah, once again, Paizo has put out another a wonderful book. Uh, I think we've got something on the screen, but actually, I don't copy right here. Look at that guy. Yep. Beautiful. Um, if you do look on Amazon, there is an alternative uh, cover for this. <laughs> I ha- we I, Rick and I went back and forth and I was like, no, it's definitely very what? different than what they normally have. So you will get like, what this. What are you talking about? I was like, you will get this copy, not what's shown on Amazon. For some reason, the Amazon listing is wrong. That's fair. So, yeah, I guess we're going to go ahead and jump in, talk a little bit about some secrets of magic. Uh, so uh, as we were just discussing the cover, let's start with the cover, shall we? Uh, as always, a beautiful cover. Rad. Uh, I don't know if Paizo gets points for that anymore because they're all pretty much. I was going to say covers. it's pretty much a given. We're going to do a research check and we're going to praise the art like. Yeah. Like top notch. Like it's uh, really good. I find it interesting. You can see a little bit more on the back of the book. I find yeah. it interesting that it has like the nine symbols around the outside. It reminds me a little bit of like the Haro card designs where it's got different symbols in each corner is maybe representing something. I don't know if that was their, uh, their intentional inspiration. And of course, unlike many of the ones we've seen recently, this was a Wayne Reynolds piece. Yeah. Yeah, it is. So, uh, which funny enough, it, it immediately, I, I looked at this, I looked at the portal that was on the front of this book and I'm like, I have seen this somewhere and I'm pretty sure I have. Because way back in the day, we're talking 15 years ago, Paizo's Game Mastery line put out these blister packs that they would contain a couple miniatures and a short little like dungeon that you could run through. And one of them was what they introduced. I think it's like a portal demon. Uh, it was the one that has the really cool belt and the four horns coming off the top of its head. They're usually purple. Uh, but they also had a portal in there that had teeth facing inwards. That was this exact shape and design of the portal on the front of this. And I don't know if that was an intentional callback or if Wayne Reynolds just recycled the idea. Yeah, I don't know, because I I figured it was some kind of like portal to an awful place because it obviously looks like there's just a lot going on. (laughs) There's tentacles. I I love the little you can just kind of see it. If you look really close right between the H and the F, there's just a little eyeball. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Down at you like, hey, guy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's like a little beholder, you know. So, yeah, um, the outside is interesting, I will also say, just because it is very distinctive. Like, if you put it on your shelf next to all of your other books, the spine is a different color. It is yeah. very distinctive from everything else. I don't know if my obsessive compulsive nature means that that's a bad thing or not. Yeah, I I did notice that. Uh, like, one of the first things I noticed was I was like, wow, this this doesn't look like all of the other books. <laughs> Um, yeah, which maybe maybe what they're doing is they're doing like, hey, you know, near new year, new look kind of a thing where it's like, OK, now we're in another like cycle of uh, releases that they'll all have a, you know, similar coloration or something. But maybe not. Maybe Secrets of Magic is just a weird different book. I mean, that could be it. It could also be. And we'll probably get into this a little bit more as we continue going through the uh, going over the book and everything in it. This book kind of breaks from a lot of traditions yeah so yeah uh, i guess we'll shall we shall we open this book shall we delve in 
Yeah. So, uh, should we start with the table of contents? <laughs> yes. Everybody no, always, no, always we'll loves that. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone loves to read the table of contents. Page one. Uh, no, I guess we'll go ahead and jump into the first part of this, which would be the introduction. Yeah, the uh, the introduction of this is very interesting. So, like, the, the way this book is laid out is it's in five chapters. Um, mm-hmm. The first entire chapter is all in world. So yeah. um, I, I really like that they, they mix new rules with um, like the in-game lore and everything like in a really unique way in this book that's a lot different. And yeah. I thought that was really cool. Like that was my like first thing I noticed about the book. Yeah, before, before we skip over, before we jump into chapter one, uh, the essentials of magic. Uh, I don't know why I use air quotes there. I guess there's still essentials of magic. Uh, there is one thing I wanted to point out with the introduction to this. And that is the introduction has a great forward. It talks about the structure of magic. It sums up like the four essences and the four traditions, as well as the eight schools. Mm-hmm. And in three paragraphs, it sums it up very well on one page. And on this page, it has a, a, dis- a depiction, which I love which is kind of like this, this circle cut into four quadrants, one for arcane, occult, primal, and divine. And then the lines dividing it represent the four schools, well, basically the four, uh, how do they define them? The essences yeah. of reality, matter, spirit, or sorry, the essences of reality, which are matter, spirit, mind, and life, uh, which I guess are four of the infinity stones. And Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're kind of like that, yeah. But the the interesting thing is each one of the pie segments basically embodies two of those aspects. So like arcane is matter and mind, occult is mind and spirit, divine is spirit and life, and primal is life and matter. Yeah. And so I love the way that they kind of clump the four various magical uh, the traditions and divide them up and basically work with the essences to kind of make them make sense. Uh, I know that they talked about Paizo's talked about that elsewhere from their development standpoint on how they decide like what traditions get what spells and like that thought process goes a lot into it. And then there are the, uh, the eight rings that surround the outside of this depiction, which are for the eight schools of magic. I just love that artwork. Oh yeah. The way that it gives you a visual to really see the way that the magic works in the world. So, uh, as far as a two-page introduction, uh, I was very impressed with this introduction. Yeah, and I I like because one of the things I've always struggled with with magic, especially in first edition, was how do you explain like I'm casting a fifth, you know, a, a fifth level, you know, um, spell in mm-hmm. like get in game, right? Like how do you how do you explain like what it takes to actually do that like and like for like a wizard right and it's very easy now to like be like well you see i combine my my mind's will and matter and that's how i make this fireball happen you know like it's it's very it's so flavorful and that's what gets me Mm -hmm. like it's a great introduction to this book because it just gets you like hyped right in the start yeah and uh absolutely and also i was just going to throw out that in here they also talk about choosing expansions which is something interesting because it felt like it was uh, it was directed directly at game masters, which is yeah. kind of clarifying how the fifth chapter that we'll get to later. It is uh, while it is not the lion's share of this book, 
it's probably the thing that we're going to need to talk the most about. It's where the secrets are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this talks about how to choose what will work for your game. And so I think it's a, it's a very important that they threw that out right up front where they talk about what is what new forms of magic are good for both your setting as well as the story that you want to tell. So I guess this is probably also a good time to throw this in. I have a controversial opinion. Might be oh, yeah. a controversial opinion. I'm not entirely positive. I don't like the border. The inside border on all of these pages. Oh, because it's it's so heavily stylized. It's so busy. And yeah. I know for all, a lot of our listeners, I hope you can't see it. It is an explosion of trinkets and objects and potions and cups and all the rest of this around the outside. It makes me think of like old style um like illustrated manuscripts that you would yeah. see. Yeah. Where there's the whole like thing and there's like a guy inside of the the letter E at the top of the page or whatever it is. But it feels very busy to me. It makes me think of a old world of darkness changeling. Yeah, it's it's weird also because they're all like items, which I'm assuming like magic items. And it's yeah. it's strange to me to focus so heavily on the items when in this book, the magic items are like a relatively <laughs> small portion of this entire, what, 256 page book. Yeah. I mean, it, it's still a beautiful illustration. I just feel like it is very busy. It kind of draws my eye on every page. So Anyway, small complaint. I have very few of them about this book, but small yeah, complaint just it, off the top. It didn't bother me as much until you pointed it out, and now it bothers me. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, now that you can't unsee that, sorry, Jordan and listeners. Uh, <laughs> why don't you kick us off into uh, to chapter one? You'd already kind of started the delve into the it's essentials true. of magic. Yes. So chapter one, the essentials of magic, is a collection of three... Like what they what they call them is like basically books like they're mm -hmm. they're magical, you know, treatises and essays on different aspects of magic. So it starts with like the tradition treatises mm -hmm. and it actually lists like specific books that they're that they're basically going to talk through, um, which yeah. one is great because it gives you like the oh, I remember in principles of elementary thaumaturgy blah blah blah, blah. like it's it's cool <laughs> to give you like a book you could reference from your from my wizard college days you know what's well, it's funny because it reminds me of the fact that when you're a wizard you have to choose a thesis yes yes you do and so it's like oh wow that's i guess these were previously published theses um yeah or whenever they did their doctorate project or whatever and became doctor wizard yeah, so it, it goes through these books. It, it does an essay on essences, um, which mm -hmm. is just kind of delving more into the the idea of essences and what those are. And then the eight arches of incantation, which line up with your eight schools of magic. Yeah. So uh, they also then throw in your like magical backgrounds and um, like a list of rare magical backgrounds. So like there is like this chapter has like front loaded lore and then you get like your your actual like you know uh crunch that kind of goes along with it so I'm, I'm curious to get your opinion on this i think it is a very interesting way the the treaties that they put on the top of this it's a very interesting way to get across the basic information engaging the reader i'm not sure of how viable it's going to be as a reference 
Like if you yeah. read this and you're going to be able to immediately jump back in and go, I remember what was, what exactly was it, was it saying pertaining towards like, you know, elemental thaumaturgy and blah, blah, blah. Uh, how easy it's going to be to jump back in when it's written as a narrative. Yeah, it's so the way that they're done is kind of excerpts also. So they're a little bit kind of taken out of context um, within you know the game world lore. So mm-hmm. it it I like it from a flavor aspect. I think what you have to do is you have to combine it with the information that they already have in the core rulebook. So this is like yeah. this is like it's kind of a you know we we kind of assume you already know game mechanically how magic works this is about Mm -hmm. how magic works in the setting from how like the characters and the npcs and everybody understand magic which is a much different way because they don't think about oh you know this spell has the necromancy trait and all of that stuff you know they think about it in a very um kind of different way so i i definitely i i think it's all lore i don't necessarily like you said like it's it's just a wall of text there's no bullet points or bolding or anything that you can kind of look at and go okay yeah here's the major points of this so yeah it's it's definitely a read you know internalized for for role play purposes but yeah it's not going to be a reference yeah i did want to throw out here real quick uh mirror wolf nine in our chat mentioned that uh the the outside of the book, the cover for the book might be different because it's the uh, the core line is done and the future rule books are more experimental. So this okay. might just be showing that you've got the core, you've got the basics done, which are all your, you know, nice uh, parchment paper spines. And then yeah. everything else is delving into secrets of magic or whatever the I'm hoping the fighter one's going to be something really cool. Like yeah, I was going to say it's it's a little bit more esoteric or something. Yeah, a little bit more specialized <laughs> esoteric kind of lore. Yeah. Yep. Manual of gainful exercise. That's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> nice. Yeah, Before, it, it, it is also weird that they do these excerpts and they actually are doing them from like different areas. So like there's one page that's like chapter one of this book and the next one's like chapter three. So like it definitely like I'd be interested in reading actually like the actual book if they ever put it out because I think that'd be really oh, yeah. interesting. But like it, it does kind of jump around a little bit into like specific areas. Yeah, it feels like it's done as a bunch of like excerpts that you've pieced together from various books. Yeah. Uh, so following that, I think you were mentioning that they do the uh, what do they call it? Uh, yeah, the eight arches of incantation. Yeah, which I think are interesting. It feels like those are a little bit in uh, in character, also, despite the fact that they're not on like a uh, a handout type print. Yeah, they they it is it is interesting because um it like I'll read the beginning of the abjuration one which is the first one that go through it says let us begin our survey with the most essential school abjuration like it it reads as if like a professor's kind of like lecturing mm-hmm. you know which I I like that style a lot like again it's one of those things that's like okay we assume you kind of know what abjuration is but like if you want yeah. uh again one of the more like interesting things is like it kind of has this debating aspect to it of like well that's pretty that's pretty explosive to be like it's the most essential school abjuration <laughs> and it's like you can just see like the hands shooting up and be like i thought divination was the best blah 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 blah, blah. you know like from the kids so i, uh, I was about to say you're correct jordan divination is the best school <laughs> there's a reason it was According- the center of the thessalonian uh, yeah, symbol say, right <laughs> the thessalonians viewed it as so intrinsic that it was universal yep uh 
I do like, however, the the signs sidebars. On oh, those are yeah, those are so cool. Yeah, um, so each each one basically has sign sidebars that are like information on related colors, seasons, animals, the hero cards that tie into the the school of magic. Uh, your celestial bodies, um, what mm-hmm. stones it's atta- it's tied to. Um, it's yeah. it's it's not like I don't think it mechanically has any benefits. It's just kind of cool to think of. Yeah. So I well, thought that was it, pretty cool. It's interesting because it even goes a little bit further. It's it's something that you know I've steadily gotten used to with second edition, where it is no longer setting agnostic. Uh, it is definitely mm-hmm. like this book especially but every single one of the books has been very much a this is tied to the world of galarian and so it uh, it kind of hits on the same beats there where when you're bringing in haro cards you're really talking about the world of galarian now yeah but, and i like that because like i mean the pathfinder rule system and galarian are pretty well intertwined but if you mm-hmm. wanted to take this and do like a homebrew setting you can this is just like a good like a bit of extra flavor that you can kind of sprinkle on top of what you're going after. Yeah. Well, do we, uh, do we want to get some crunch in here? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. All right. So yeah, that talks about the eight schools of magic, blah, blah, blah. You guys all know about this. Uh, that then takes us into magical backgrounds. Uh, I believe there's 11 of them. If my count was correct, uh, there is, there's a bunch. <laughs> yeah. And they're common, but they focus on magical experiences. So basically like a history of magic. Yeah. And I, one of the things I liked about it is I kind of thought it would be like, and this is how I set up my caster, but it's actually (laughs) not like there's really interesting stuff. Like you can set up as like a magical merchant and it's like you sold magic items in the past. And you know, that gives you a lot of knowledge about magic items and things like that. So it's, I liked also one of my favorite ones because I knew Jess would like it is called plant whisperer. And it's like, you've always had a green thumb, you know, like you've always had a connection to plants. And I'm just like, I feel like that's basically like the best, like starting background for every druid is like, I really liked plants. And then one day they started talking to me. <laughs> yeah, there and there's some really good ones. And, and again, some of them are not necessarily like you have to have been or even still be a spellcaster to go for them. There's some of them where it's just. This would make sense if you're a spellcaster, but yeah, if you really want to be trained in, you know, occultism and academia lore, you could be an occult librarian, but actually be like, well, I studied a whole bunch of stuff in the occult, but I have no aptitude for magic. So I just stab things with silver and or cold iron. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's definitely like from oh god. It's definitely like they're they're really good bits of flavor, but yeah, they're not tied to you actually being able to cast magic in any way, shape or form, which I think that's the background system in general doesn't really mandate that your background has to tie into what you do. So it fits, which is one of the really solid things that I like about the background system in 2E is that almost every background that you find, you can usually find a way to just go, well, you know, sure. This one is obviously with a more martial bent or this one's with a more Mm -hmm. magical bent. But you know what? I can be a wizard that likes to go on a jog every morning and stay fit, or I can be a fighter that likes to read occult books in my spare time. Yeah, you know. Or I was a I was a former musical prodigy who just you know burned out, and I yeah I know I I'm like I'm trained in performance and music lore and like all that, but like I just really just don't want to play the violin anymore or whatever. You know, like it's it's. Again, there's just there's always the background system I always love because it's it's kind of like 
you get to just pick this like really pivotal like development that you had in your past and it gives you a little bit but like it's not enough for you to be like and now i have to carefully put my background together or else my character doesn't make sense you know yeah so um speaking of doesn't make sense segue some of the uh the rare magical backgrounds are very interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're wild. Those are there's a reason they're rare. Like, yeah, they're, these they're are out there. Rare. Yeah, yes. they're these are out there um, backgrounds that some of them are like rather. I would say even more specific than you would think because like one of them is like genie blessed. Yeah, and so like you've you know you've been blessed by a genie in your past and you know all of that, but it's like. Like what? Are, what are, like what are the odds that that happens? Like one in a million, you know, kind of a thing. And like it perfectly fits rare to me. Yeah, and it it lets them explore some very interesting ideas. They do stress that rare backgrounds should be chosen only after discussion between the game master and other players as to yes. whether one would apply for a particular character in your group because they are stronger than a. They are demonstrably stronger. Yes. These, these um, are ones that have like little paragraphs about what you get from having this background. That's not yeah. just you get, you know, you're trained in this and this it's like, no, you actually get like abilities with these backgrounds. Like my, eye was originally drawn to the, uh, the chosen run one in large part. Cause I could just hear you McGregor. Yes. <laughs> you're the chosen one. <laughs> but, uh, I have high ground. The, the interesting thing about it is a lot of these get additional abilities. So for instance, the chosen one gets a, uh, a prophecies pawn. It's a free action uh, triggers whenever you fell a saving throw, throw attack roll or skill check. And you can twist your prophecy in your favor because you're prophesized to be the chosen one, uh, which will have consequence later on. You can reroll the failed check, but you have, and you have to use the second result. But for 24 hours thereafter, the GM can force you to reroll a successful saving throw attack roll or skill check as fate bounces back the scales. Which I do, I do like and, that one specifically yeah. because there is a drawback. So it's again, it's just it's fun, it's interesting. I really like it. Yeah, but, one uh, of, one of the one of the themes I kind of saw through this is there is there are some kind of like what I would typically call like chaos causing um, abilities and systems and things is like things where yeah. you're rolling on charts and and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Like the, this is one of those ones where it's like the there is a good effect and there's also the downside to it um, yeah. to kind of balance out the ability a little bit because that one right there, that's pretty powerful. It's pretty potent. Um, speaking of pretty potent, chapter two's classes. Yes, everybody's favorite stuff is the classes. <laughs> uh, do you want the summoner or the magus? Um, you know what? I'll take the summoner. Okay, then uh, here, let me let me introduce the magus, the class that needs no introduction. But will anyway. <laughs> Uh, so for those of you not really familiar and with first edition, the Magus is the, I've always considered it to be the final fantasy fighter. It's the, <laughs> I stab things, yeah. but also blast things with magic. It always makes me think of every final fantasy character. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily in a bad way. I actually love the final fantasy games, but the, the Magus is an interesting class because it is a balance between arcane and martial. And so, uh, it kind of what's the easiest way to phrase this? There's a certain synergy to this class, to the rework of the Magus that I do like where their primary focus is still spell strike, which like it was in first edition, uh, which is a two action ability that lets you cast a spell and hit someone with a strike as part of the two actions of casting the spell. 
So basically you can cast shocking grass because that's the standard mega spell and then immediately hit a person with your sword, deal your damage and deal the shocking grasp in addition to that. And now they've somewhat tempered it by having spell strike be two actions and you can't use it again until you recharge the ability. Now you can refocus the ability as a single action. So it kind of encourages people to stand in one spot. Like two yeah. action hit, one action refocus. Yeah, it, uh, it, it also, balances the the multi attack aspect of melee now. Like you, more or less, if you're doing a spell strike, you're not going to get a second attack, most yeah. likely, unless you just want to not recharge it. Yeah, and also the spell strike counts as a uh, two attacks, so you'd be taking a minus ten penalty if you decide to yeah. take a swing with your third action anyway. Yeah, uh, you can also use your uh, what do they call them? Conflux. Conflux spells yeah. to recharge the ability as well. So uh, I find that very interesting. I like the arcane cascade stance as a way to kind of replicate the imbuing your weapons with magic where you can get a bonus to it and theming it lets you theme your damage based on the last spell that you cast. So you get extra damage. And if your last spell was a shocking grasp, then now your weapon is basically still has electricity and it is still doing shocking damage. It's very flavorful uh yeah i was gonna say it's also like very strategic like the magus to me feels very much like it's kind of for that person who wants to do like they're spending the time when it's not their turn strategizing about the next five moves they're gonna do like it feels very like a very strategic class and how you're manipulating your your stances and your conflict spells and all of this stuff to kind of like get the most out of it yeah there's a element in first edition and i promise i won't just keep jumping back to first edition the whole time but we are comparing classes from one edition to the next a little bit in first edition the magus is was basically an advanced class and in second edition it still feels the same way yeah it it feels like if this was the first class you played the magus is pretty complicated Uh, yeah i don't think it's as complicated as it could be and it actually feels a little less complicated than it was in the play test yeah, I didn't play the playtest of it, but um, yeah, it is still a, a complicated class because it at the minimum, you're having to do magic and melee. So you need to know mm-hmm. pretty much the entire rule system of combat to understand how to use both of those. Yeah. Uh, so like all classes in second edition, it does have like themes. And in this case, they refer to them as hybrid study. I love uh, these, by the way. I thought yes. the hybrid studies are the best part of the Magus. Yeah, and it provides you a degree of like customization beyond just the Final Fantasy style sword and sorcery magus. Uh, of course, I don't think uh, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the Twisting Tree Hybrid Study, which is everyone's favorite staff magus from yes. first edition making its way back. Although I personally love that there's a magus hybrid style that focuses on your book. Yes. Yeah, so, I I thought yeah, it's really interesting because like it kind of feels like, I mean, the, the Magus is, is, it feels very offensive, but you also yeah. can do a build that is based on using a shield or your book, weirdly, yeah. um, and doing like shield blocks and getting abilities based on like use of that item, um, which I think is just like, it's really interesting to see them take a, what felt like a very offensive class in first edition and give it a little bit of defensive um, flavor. Yeah. Um, if you want to go that way, and if you don't want to go that way, fine. You know, you can go full offensive and do a build that's like that. Yeah. 
and also I have to have I have to give a shout out to the uh, inoxable iron for being oh, yeah. be the the great axe wielding magus. Yes. I, just, uh, <laughs> I look forward to seeing some of those in the in the distant future. Yeah, the uh, the really <laughs> the really surprising one to me actually was um, Starlet Span, which is uh, basically mm. it gives you range. So it gives you arcane archer is what it basically turns yeah. into. And I, I like the way that they did that um, where, you know, you you basically you do your spell strikes and you can still do them on the ranged attacks, but it still runs on the same spell strike system. You're still going to have to recharge it and everything. But I think it gives like a good, you know, you don't have to. It's kind of the best part of second edition is there's a lot of commonality that you get to pull from in the systems so that you don't have like I'm taking this prestige class and now I have to completely relearn how everything works, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think the last two things that I'll just mention pertaining towards uh, the Magus is one, uh, I will like to point out that there is a feat that magically infuses strength into your spellbook so you can use it as shield. Yes, which is uh, which is <laughs> we'll get we'll get into in, into that because there's also um, what is it? Is it a magic item or is it one of their feats that you can put a shield and a book together and merge them? Hmm. Um, I don't yeah, remember I, if, where I saw that, but somewhere in this it's book, a, I think it's a sixth level feat. Shield tome, shielded tome, yeah, shielded tome, yeah. I was, I was like, that is awesome. That is amazing. <laughs> uh, the other thing that I'll mention, just as a personal side note, is uh, for anyone that does have this book, on page forty-six of this book is a uh, is a catfolk magus that looks a shocking amount like my cat. Yes, right? my little cat Sophie. It is a. Uh, a very similar design and i really appreciate that so so we got we got we got the pdf of this um (laughs) and uh the first thing that gets texted at our you know the group text that we all have is that picture (laughs) like that was immediately what was like the first impression was that there's that picture but it also it this picture does do a good job beyond just uh showing how adorable my cat is it also does a good job of showcasing how you can use the Magus as part of a character that uses natural weapons also. So it's got this fun, I I can use claws and infuse claws with my spells. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or if you're, you know, a lizard, uh, a Rukshi, is that correct? I have no idea. No, I can't remember. Uh, If you're a lizard folk, I apologize for any lizard folk fans there that don't like the name lizard folk. uh, You can maybe infuse like your tail because I believe they can get a tail as a natural weapon as part of their ancestry feat. Yep. Yes. Thank you, Sleepless Australian. I'm glad that you're here with us. Obviously not sleeping. (laughs) Yeah, the other time it is in Australia. (laughs) Yeah. The other thing that's really interesting in this is it it does give you builds, you know, for example, Mm. builds, but it also gives you a um, like, how would you refocus? So there's Mm. some interesting like little side blurbs about like, how does a Magus refocus and get your inner focus points back? And it talks about like doing ridiculous stuff and like physical feats and reading your textbook or or reading your spell book. And I thought that was really interesting because it has some very flavorful um, stuff. So I won't spoil anything, but definitely take a look at that um, because I found that a very fun read. Yep. You hook your legs over a a pull up bar and then you read your spell book while, you know, (laughs) <laughs> you're doing like one-handed pull-ups and reading the book at the same yeah. time you know like you know like like you do you give uh you get you know a friend's familiar or something like that to just sit on your stomach and hold the book open for you while you you go through your whole workout routine yep uh, <laughs> so why don't we talk about the summoner a bit 
Okay, uh, so first thing about the summoner is there is a new icon. Well, there's a new iconic for both of these uh, classes, but no, um, Sethriel. Oh, Seth is it still Real, the same iconic? Yeah, he's he's just wearing a shirt now. It's hard. Oh, to tell. okay. Yeah, I was gonna say he's just he's drawn so different. <laughs> he has a shirt. My God. goodness. Um, but for the summoner, there is a new iconic. Um, I love her. I love her. I love her summon. Um, so she is a little Mwangi girl. Bubblegum dragon, yes. Yes, with her bubblegum dragon, with little bubblegum eyes, and it's yeah. super cute. Um, and I love it also that she has a staff. Um, we'll get more on staves later, staves later, but, um, and it has a little dragon head on it. It's super cute. Yeah. Um, I've already forgotten her name, but. Ira? Mm. E Iri? It starts Probably. with an I, yes. Yeah, it starts with an I. <laughs> I guess uh, Bal Balthazar got retired someplace. So Ija, there we go. Somebody, somebody Ija. had me. Thank you, Mirror Wolf. Um, yeah. So uh, summoners. And to be fair, the pink dragon is a little cuter than uh, Balthazar's uh, crazy worm. Yeah, Quetz uh, his like yeah Qu uh, Quetzalcoatl <laughs> looking thing. I think it's um, supposed to be a cockatrice, but I'm not sure. I yeah, I don't know. It was it was hard to tell because it didn't have like the back half of it. Um, so summoners, if you didn't know, um, are, I mean, the name kind of tells you what they do, but they're very much <laughs> like, I kind of describe them as like the RPG elements of a video game brought into how you build your character. <laughs> like mm -hmm. you, you basically, you, you as a summoner have a connection to an otherworldly creature and you manifest that creature as your summon. Um, and you get control over its abilities, what it can do, how it progresses. Um, and they have like, now they have templates for what they look like, but they used to just be able to look like kind of anything. Yeah. Um, and summoners, I, I think the best part about summoners is they, they had kind of a, in first edition, they had kind of a, I wouldn't say like necessarily controversial, but they were like, at one point they were OP and then they had to get like what basically amounted to a nerf because of like the balance issues with that class. Yeah. What you were saying just a second ago and that right there kind of ties into how this two E summoner seems like it follows the evolution of no some, some pun intended there follows the evolution of the summoner <laughs> uh, from like the one E standard summoner to the unchanged summoner, which gave a yeah. little bit more structure to the way that Edelon worked. And then now this feels like they've, taken the structure, taken some of the elements out of it, uh, not to skip too far ahead into the Edelon, but they've removed the all Edelons use basically outsider templates and instead allowed them to be some sort of spirit connection. Uh, so they're not specifically tied to outsiders any longer, but they are still categorized. Yeah, it, de it definitely does give you some more structure. Um, it Also, the way that they've done the summoner now is, so summoners in first edition, it's a totally separate creature. It has its own hit points, its own stats, yeah. and everything like that. They simplified that somewhat. So, like, on your turn, it uses your actions. So, like, if it mm -hmm. takes two actions, you only get one. Um, it also shares your hit point pool. So yeah. that is why the summoner is a, you know, 10 plus con <laughs> spellcaster, yeah. which seems bananas. Um, is because you do share hit points with them. Um, but An yeah. Important note is uh, you do take damage from the same hit point pool. So if something hits your summon and then something hits you, you take damage, but it's from the source that's important. So if a fireball hits you both, you only take the damage from the fireball once. But you take so the greater not, of the two damages. You take the greater of the two damages. Yeah. Yes. So there is, so. there is, 
there is some risk in having a having a summon because your summon can basically knock you unconscious by taking enough damage. Well, and one of the things that I love about this is it gets rid of the whole suicidal Edelon. Yes. It gets rid of the whole, yes. well, I'm just going to throw him out there, and if he dies, I'll summon him back tomorrow. Yeah, you know, yeah. Now you have to take care of your companion because if he goes down, those are your hit points. Yeah, there <laughs> there is a feat you can take, uh, or mm. no, it's a... Uh, yeah, it's, I think it's a feat that um, will let you like tri- like on the last hit that would knock you out, cut this connection with your Edelon and let it you know demanifest, dis- unmanifest. I think the unmanifest is the word. <laughs> um, so you won't take that final damage to knock you out, but like there's then you can't summon it for another couple minutes and things like that. So there are some tweaks to that. If you don't really like that system, you can you can get eventually the ability to not get knocked out, but it does. The emphasis on, like, from a flavor text of the summoner is you have this, like, unbreakable magical connection that spans the planes, basically, Mm. with this creature. You know, whether it's it's a friend or a protector or you're just trying to help it, you know, cross over. Um, There's some kind of, like, very, very deep connection. So, like, it talks about, like, when you refocus and you're getting your focus points back it might be you're telling stories to each other about your lives or you know you're playing a game together or studying like it's a fully intelligent creature whereas yeah. like before summoners summoners and summons it was kind of like it's a summon but like i don't really need He's to give here. it a personality it can kind of just be here now it's like it is a full dedicated character you actually in exploration mode you and your summon can both do independent actions. You get yeah. your own skills and and all this stuff. So it's it's a really interesting way to to have the the summon be a lot more important. Yeah, um, I, I like how they do mention also that the uh, the Eidolon can allows you to communicate with it telepathically at all times, even when it isn't manifested. Yeah, yeah, it's just so, a voice in your head, and it can also like share senses. So it basically can use that to, you know, view things that are going around you. So in essence, even when you don't have it with you, as far as like physically, it is still there mentally with you. So I like it because it's it's just kind of it's a constant. Component. Yeah. And that was an ability in first edition, but it was yeah. unidirectional. Like you could see through your summon, but not the other way around. And mm-hmm. it gives the the Edelon actually has some autonomy. Um, it does clarify in the rules that like if it becomes a you versus them, you win every time. Like, you know, it's not it doesn't really allow for like the yeah. the, the summon to go rogue. Um, but um, getting into some of the mechanics, um, so summoning an Edelon used to be a more or less a ritual that you had to do. It took like a minute to actually manifest your Edelon. Now it is a three action. Um, yeah action you basically just sit there for six seconds and your edelon will manifest um you can basically do this thing again to uh unmanifest it Mm. um which i think is is good because one of the issues that i think a lot of people had if you're if you're into the role play is how is it not weird that i'm running around with this like ethereal dragon edelon like how am i not drawing tons of attention and now it can be like okay we walk into uh, a place we get jumped I can, you know, I can spend my three actions and get the Edelon going. And I think if I remember right, uh, they then get one action after you manifest them. Um, and can then take a single action, yes. So it's not yeah. like you just wasted an entire turn just getting it there. Like, it actually, you know, can pop in. Um, it does have to be adjacent to you. 
<laughs> um, but yeah, um, the so the actual system for Edelon creation is very interesting. So mm. most of your um, you basically get um, a base template that gives yeah. you um, you know a a kind of general build, and you get two mm. options for, for what you want their stats to be. But they're yeah. otherwise pretty pretty similar. But the way that it's structured is there is a ton of customization you can do. So, for instance, I can pick an Edelon, and let's just say I want to do an Anger Phantom Edelon. Yeah. It will tell you that tradition is a cult. As a summoner, you now cast off the occult list. Yeah. Um, it uh, you know has a home plane. It has a size, and you can choose whether you want it, say, for instance, medium or small. But then gives you suggested attacks. Now, this is where it gets really interesting because you and the GM have to work together on how your Edelon does damage. It's all natural mm -hmm. attacks, but you get to pick, is it piercing, slashing, bludgeoning? Um, it's a and, lot like the spirit, the phantom uh, were for the spiritualists. In yes. Yeah. So I, I really like that because it doesn't home, like it doesn't constrain you in. I'm, you know, I'm summoning a construct that can only ever use its fist. If you want to have your construct have a sword and have it do slashing damage, sure. It's still a yeah. natural attack from a mechanic standpoint, but like flavor-wise, you can make it look like however you want, which I appreciate. Um, the awesome. two the two builds that you get, I can pretty much break these down for you. Is uh, I don't want to get too much in the weeds because we still have uh, 200 pages to go. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so much stuff. Um, but each of these templates does give you your Edelon unique abilities. Um, so they get a yeah. couple of things as they level up um, that you can do. If you're a fan of how the original Edelon was, where it was kind of a Wild West, uh, a little bit more than the others, the Construct mm -hmm. uh, one is the one you want to go for because that has basically like less structure to it if you're wanting to just kind of be like i want extra evolutions to just build my own that's pretty much the yeah. one you go for the rest of them i mean there's not a bad one on here i looked through all of them and they are all well, super the solid Edelon section is almost as large as the summoner section oh so. yeah no it's, <laughs> it's it's gigantic i mean it's massive but um it definitely has some very interesting ones that they decided to start with that i thought were really interesting um so definitely worth a look through because yeah it is like I don't know, freaking 30 pages. I mean, everything from angels, plants, um, demons, psychopomps. I mean, they've, they've got templates for pretty much everything. Yeah. I like uh, Mirror Wolf suggesting a uh, construct Edelon with a drill arm. Oh, uh, we man. All, we'd all love to have our own Big Daddy, right? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> our own yeah. Mr. Bubbles. Oh, Mr. Bubbles. Um, the one thing that I do think is kind of weird um, with this is... Mm -hmm. um, it is possible to create a flying creature that cannot fly for a couple of levels because you don't you have to take a evolution to actually give them the ability to fly. So like the best you can do is you can give them a glider form when you first start. So it's weird to me that like I can get a dragon or an angel looking thing that has wings but can't fly. So that's a little bit of kind of weirdness just from my desire to have a flying summon or have a summon that has wings that can actually fly. So I mean you could do some interesting stuff with that from a role play perspective. So well, a lot of that is is based off of the balance of flight. Yeah, which there's a whole debate that can go on pertaining towards the balance of flight in uh, in first edition and second edition and versus Starfinder, etc. That the system is designed around flight is only a viable option at a certain level. Yeah, uh, and therefore before that, that it's not really 
in addition to that, you can you can always make the argument because again, they're not necessarily supposed to be representative of a specific creature so much as an idea of a creature type. So it's like if you have a demon, because as someone mentions, uh, there's no devil uh, Eidolon, there's only the demon one, that you can say that it looks like a demon, it has horns, it has all the de- demonic appearance, but it doesn't have wings. Yeah. And then once you reach a point where you can give it wings, suddenly the next time you summon, it's like, oh, wait, you got big bat wings now. That's that's yeah. new. <laughs> the the way that they actually explain it, it, it does actually uh, help with that explanation because the way that they explain it is you're connected to this creature, but you give it a body when you manifest it. So yeah. you put your idea of what it mm. is into its body. So like it may not actually even look like this creature. So like it looks like a dragon. Okay. Yeah. You get to make it look like whatever kind of a dragon you think a dragon is. So if you think Jeez. a dragon is, you know, a little tiny medium sized one that you, you know, as a little gnome can ride around on. Sure. There you go. It's yeah. little, you know, choose the form of your destroyer. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so. yeah, no, it's, uh, I personally, probably one of the classes I'm most excited to get to play. Um, it's very from, interesting. It's super interesting. Um, it is a little finicky um, just because of the different evolutions and feats and things. So there's, you can, it, they've got enough to get you started, but you can kind of drop off a cliff into like a bunch of weird stuff where you're repreparing different evolutions every day and stuff yeah. at higher levels. So it can get finicky at higher levels. If, if you're into that, then you can go that route. Yeah. So, um, I suppose uh, following that, we have the archetypes. Um, it basically lets you have an archetype for the Magus and or the Summoner. Yeah, uh, it really also the only it, thing. it also oh. introduces the, um, uh, oh gosh, what do they call it? Bounded Spellcaster archetype? Yeah. For basically how you get your spells. It's the, the way that um, you get your spells with that is the same way that it's listed in this book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you. These classes both have a somewhat limitation on their spell casting because they yeah. w- actually begin losing their lower level spell slots as they go up. It's an interesting way to reflect the fact that the in 1E they are casters plus. Yeah. It is I am a caster plus a swordsman. I am a caster plus a you know summoner with a big monster thing. And so I find it's a good way to get around the idea of having oh well they only get up to 6th level spells. Yeah, and instead give them more powerful magic, but with limitations, with a, a greater limit on the amount of magic they can use. Yeah, it's uh, it is interesting because like it it makes you focus like when you use your spell slots, you're gonna be really good because yeah. you're casting off of your highest spell and and like one level below. So you're gonna have like it's gonna be awesome when you're using that, and yep. you still get cantrips and stuff. So you still you know you can oh, still yeah, cast can magic. Still cast, it's just yeah. you know. You're, you do have those like for me it feels like very much like that moment that you're gonna go okay I'm going for broke I'm going to do for the big thing right now you know yeah so uh, I will also mention that there is a goblin and a bowler hat so if you like goblins <laughs> and bowler hats there's a goblin and a bowler hat in the artwork on page 77 so if that's your thing yes yeah uh, I suppose then we should dive into uh the other thing that people came here for, other than the the classes originally, which would be the spells. Yep. 
there are, just to give a little bit of information, there are 56 pages of new and revised spells. Revised being spells oh my that existed previously. Yeah, spells uh, of first edition. Um, but oh my, there's so many new spells. Yeah. Uh, there are three pages of focus spells and seven pages of rituals. So uh, I wanted to just kind of jump in here and we're obviously not going to go spell by spell by spell. And I'm sure we've got some questions that are uh, from our either discord or questions that are going to be in the chat pertaining towards our favorite spells. So um, I had one thing I wanted to talk about. I'm not sure if there's something from a you know top down level you want to talk about, Jordan. I, I think there's more than one of these, but I noticed elemental annihilation wave. And it's interesting because it's a two action cast that lets you deal fire and bludgeoning damage. Or a three-action cast that lets you, you know, augment your initial two-action casting, or a two-round cast you can use after you use a three-action cast. And that's so new. basically like a build up of magic. It's curious. I I like the idea of it. I'm. It's, it'll be interesting to I'm see. I'm interested if, to see. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to see how it is because like that's. It's it, it's interesting, but it's also like one of those, um, I guess, kind of risk reward things because like you need your line to hold long enough for you to be able to do that. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. There's there's uh, the other thing I noticed in this that I thought was kind of interesting is there are themes throughout the new spells that they've created mm-hmm. that seem geared towards like I don't I wouldn't say like specific types of build, but specific types of flavor. So, like, they've introduced chronomancy, so there's a new type of, like, time magic that has a couple of different things you can do where you, mechanically it's it looks like a teleport, but you're actually stopping time or reversing time or something, you know? So you hit on my secret favorite thing in this book. The chronomancy? Which is freaking time magic. <laughs> this includes day's wait, which lets you, in essence... Fast forward someone to the end of their day so that they are then fatigued yes. because they're now tired from an entire day's worth of work. Time jump, which is what you're talking about, that is basically I can hop from place to place, not because I'm teleporting, but because I'm stopping time and moving over there. Yeah. Which I love. Um, the rewinding step, which is rewinding neat, step basically is good. Yeah, it, it more or less lets you click the the back button and like do over. Hold on, I want to go back real quick. I didn't mean to do this. <laughs> that lets yeah. you step back to where you were. Uh, and possibly uh, the best is sixth level of it, which is cast into time, where you more or less put someone in a literal timeout that they also take bludgeoning damage as they're hurtled through time before returning back to the battlefield. Yep. Yeah, there's really good chronomancy stuff um, from a flavor. It's weird to me because, like, I, I I know that the only time they really talked about time magic, it was, like, in first edition, it was, don't do this. If you do this, you end up losing your memory and bad things happen and it's ho- horrible and awful. And now it's, like, little tiny bits of stuff. It's okay. <laughs> well, it's a theme that has been steadily introduced and expanded upon in the Galarian lore, particularly starting with... Uh, I would say minor spoilers. I'll still say minor spoilers here for uh, Return of the Rune Lords. There's time magic in Return of the yeah, Rune Lords. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the minor spoiler. Uh, and I say it's a minor spoiler because it's also in the setting book and all the rest of that stuff. But so are the end of a lot of adventure paths. So I don't want to ruin that for anyone. I won't get any, any of the details there. But there is time involved. 
And I like this because it also, there's not only that I want to do a throwback all the way back to page 31 in that, that one of the rare backgrounds is the time traveler background. Yep. So if you could convince a game master to let you be the time traveler background, you can then grab all of these time related spells, maybe throw like haste and slow in there, you know, just to kind of round out the theme and have this amazing time manipulating wizard. And I love everything about that. Yeah, that that actually you, you mentioned like haste and slow. And my, my favorite from the naming perspective of the spells in this book is called tortoise and the hare. Yeah. Which is you speed up yourself or an ally by siphoning speed from somebody else and slowing them. Yeah. <laughs> and I love the description of it says, you know, uh, slow and steady doesn't always win. <laughs> it's yeah. like the spell description. I was like, oh, that's so good. Um, the, there's also some other interesting ones here. Like there's a bunch of spells about manipulating gravity and magnetism. Mm -hmm. um, there is a metric ton of different forms that you can take to yeah. do to do polymorphs into different things. They're a little complicated because there's like whole new stat blocks basically you have to do. But mm -hmm. there's really cool stuff there. Um, it's there's also a ton of chromatic stuff. I, I, I noticed as I was looking through the spell list. Um, if you're into like the the random dice chance, it's very yeah. much like you know uh, uh, roll dice and find out if you're you know doing acid damage or you're immune to um, fire or something like that. It's pretty pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of fun things there. Um, I guess before we really move on to spells, I will also mention that there is a summon kaiju. Yes. Yes, that has a to be variety mentioned. of different named kaijus. And the best part about that, <laughs> the craziest part is when you cast that spell one, it goes for a minute, but it has an effect when they emerge and when they disappear yeah. that are unique to each one of the monsters. Like yeah. it's a 10th level spell. So like, you know, let's don't think that you're going to be getting this anytime soon, but like, holy cow. Yeah. But if you get into a final big boss fight and everything else. And you oh, just the perfect like, time. Here comes Godzilla. <laughs> yeah. No, the perfect time. They're all named too. So they're apparently based on some known kaiju. I'm not yep. familiar with them, but you know, there you have it. So yeah, uh, they're the focus spells. Focus spells are neat. Uh, yep. I don't really have much to say about them other than they're neat. The rituals, I will say that there are two of the rituals that I particularly like uh, from just the game master standpoint, really, which are the Asmodean wager, which is just kind of fun, where you get to make kind of a quasi literal deal with the devil, uh, which is neat. Uh, and also the bathe in blood. If you want to go all Elizabeth Bathory and, you know, gain your immortality from murdering people and bathing their blood it both of them feel one just feels like a bad idea but something that a gm could have fun convincing a player to engage with uh, yeah and the other one feels like here's a wonderful setup to an adventure and yeah. learning said ritual and then going right now i would never use this ritual but yeah the one that i thought was really funny <laughs> is mind swap which like you would think, swaps two minds um, and you mm. take over each other's bodies. So basically Freaky Friday yeah. um, for a week. <laughs> so it's not like permanent <laughs> or anything, but it's like, you know, for one week, I get to literally walk in your shoes. Like, I don't yeah. know. It's rare. So I don't know like when it would ever come up. But I was just like, <laughs> Freaky Friday. It immediately made me think of there's a um, short story. It's called The Transformation. 
I think it might have been. It was Mary Shelley's story. I believe she wrote it after she wrote Frankenstein. But it was basically about this guy who had everything but was just a total tool. And then uh, a random, I think maybe he was supposed to be a leprechaun. I'm not sure. Like washes up on shore with a treasure chest and pops out. And is like, hey, guy, what if we trade bodies for, a, a you know, like three days and then I'll come back and I can take care of these things and you can have all my money. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. And then the guy takes off and goes and basically tries to is better at being that guy than he was everyone likes him more and then suddenly the woman <laughs> that he's interested in is gonna marry him and so he has to show back up and, like stab himself <laughs> anyway if you get a chance i'm wanting to say it's called the transformation i'm not positive <laughs> and yes i've mentioned a short story so take a drink uh, <laughs> I actually would love to chat, see yes. what uh, what the bingo card looks like for uh, for our episodes. I'm sure there's some pretty funny ones. Yeah, 90s references, basically. Yeah, yeah, 90s yeah. references, the free spot in the center. <laughs> 90s references, or Rick throws back to a short story that's at least 100 years old. Yeah. Uh, it's public domain. So, yeah. Uh, any rituals you want to give a shout out to or other than the Freaky Friday? Um, I, I love I'm going to call this out just because I love the art that's included with it is Mystic Carriage, um, oh, which yeah. is a, you know, you basically summon a carriage that takes you to a destination of your choice. But the art of it is like it's the it looks like the there's phantom steeds. It's pulling some kind of a carriage. There's like magic riding on the side. Fumbus is driving and he's like prepared some kind of grenade <laughs> that he's trying to throw. Sioni's le- leaning out the side, blasting some like, you know, fire magic at whatever's chasing them. And it's just like, man, that is epic. <laughs> I will say my favorite part of the mystic carriage is the uh, critical failure where you fail to summon the carriage, but you do summon the four riding horses and they attack you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a yeah. We'll talk about some of the other ones where, where the critical failures are like especially like ironic or, or yeah. funny. So um, I suppose then that takes us uh, into magic items. Who? Oh, my gosh. Oh, is there a lot in magic? Oh, there's so much. There's so, uh, there's so much. Again, let's try to let's try to tackle this with a little bit of a speed. How about we rotate on and off? Okay, all right. I will. Uh, I'll I'll do the first one. Um, all right. So uh, they basically take all of these magic items and they give them um, different categories. So this is a mm-hmm. introduction to a bunch of different types of magical items with their kind of unique rules and and things for them. The first one is uh, Fulu's, which um, I had never heard of. But I've seen them before in anime and stuff. It is pieces of paper that have magical writing on them. And they work kind of like attachable scrolls. Um, So they're really interesting because uh, one of the things that's interesting is when you craft them, you'll make like four at a time. So you you create like a batch of these things, kind of like you would for like... um, arrows or something like that mm-hmm. and uh you can they they basically it even says like they kind of work like scrolls so like if you wanted to do one that's not listed here you can kind of work with your gm on it but yeah. they're really interesting because like the art for them is super cool um because uh, i don't remember if it's um if they're a part of shintoism or what they're so my, my quick google has shown it is a term for a taoist incantation and taoist, magical okay. symbol Written or painted as a tel- talisman. Okay. Yeah. All right. So Taoism. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I find them really interesting. Um, and no, no way meaning to be uh, remotely uh, 
I'll just throw this out there as a disclaimer. In no way re- meaning to remotely downplay anything that may have some religious significance, especially as I'm talking about it in a game form here. Uh, it reminds me one of uh, Japanese folklore where you would always see like the uh, like the vampires or anything that would wear the the sheets over their faces that are covered mm-hmm. in the characters. Uh, it also reminds me, uh, this is <laughs> the less respectful general statement. It reminds me a little bit of Space Marines. Where they oh, have yes. little like yeah. parchments attached with the the stamp, with the prayers on them, yeah, with the prayers on it. So it it kind of reminds me of that same thing where you just I'm going to slap this on. I'm sure I've seen some Wayne Reynolds art, other than the Contract Devil, which is just draped in things like that. Uh, oh yeah, if I if I had this. read this side blurb <laughs> that actually talks about the real life usage of Fulu, um, oh, okay, there you go. It actually it actually talks specifically about what they're used for, um, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, there's a bunch of different examples in here. Um, they, some of them you put on yourself, some of them you put on items. Um, they, they do tend to kind of mimic like a spell effect. So yeah. they're they're really interesting, and I I appreciate yeah. the fact that they're not Eurocentric. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting call out to like the the Tian Sha area of Galarian that it gets yeah. kind of like top of the magic item. So I thought that was pretty cool. And uh, I also do like the fact that you can attach them to buildings. So some of them are like. Uh, of fire suppression or a flood suppression yeah so it's just like <laughs> it's your oh, insurance that, yeah it's like that that makes a lot of sense you know where yeah it would especially if you're down in uh in i could star the man away or something like that it's like you know here's our powder room by the way we've slapped this thing don't take that off the door because it keeps fire from spreading inside of the where we keep all the gunpowder yeah i one of the ones I, I thought was to do. yeah one of the ones i thought was funny is the magical lock fulu where um, it is literally, it looks like a lock kind of drawn on it, you know, stylized. But uh, the more you attach to an to a seam, the stronger the lock is. So hmm. if you put on one, it's a poor lock, you know, not too hard to get through. You put on like nine of them and it's an average lock and so on and so forth. So I, I like the idea that's like, I really don't want anybody getting into this and just slapping stickers all over it. Like, I like the idea of just like furiously slapping stickers on. Generally, hey, buddy. Oh, cat interruption there generally speaking that's what that's what everyone asked was what we edit out of episodes. oh yeah that's, that, the, that's the cats jumping cats. up and and getting on top of them that is like a good probably 30 percent of what we edit out. <laughs> yeah he just doesn't like me giving my attention to everyone out there instead of him i know uh no it uh small random there are some people in the chat that i'm sure will get this uh there is a part of disco elysium where you find a door that is covered in wards and prayer runes and all the rest of that. And it's a very similar thing where it's, I'm not sure if it's remotely keeping it locked, but it's just kind of a fun throw, uh, throw in there also, but made me think of the same thing. Uh, after Fulu's we go to the grimoire. Yes. Do, do, do. So these are basically spell books. They existed in, first edition although this is a different take on the these don't have preset spells like they did in first edition instead they're spell books that give you actions that you can take as part of the spell casting from them i love it Mm -hmm. because in large part there is such a focus in literature in the idea of fantasy wizards and things like that where it's your spell book spellbook is so important it's intrinsic to the very design of the wizard that i love having spellbook magic items that can you know the let's see 
my one of my personal favorites, I'll just use one of these as an example here, not to get too much into the weeds, is the uh, Codec of Impending Sight, which oh, unimpeded after, sight, unimpeded. Oh, um, unimpeded yeah. sight. Thank you, Codec of Unimpeded Sight, which allows you to uh, as after you cast a divination spell, you can use a free action uh, to offer you a glimpse into the truth of things and roll either a seek or a recall knowledge. And so I love being able to just go, I'm going to, you know, use a divination spell and see what's immediately ahead of us. And then after I see that I can immediately boom, instantaneously make a recall knowledge check. Yeah. It is, is amazing. Yeah. I like the, the theming of the grimoires where it's like, it's they're they're themed around a specific type of magic or a specific yeah. thing. So like, you know, there's like the book of lingering blaze is evocation mm-hmm. based, but specifically fire. Um, yeah. You know, because it says specifically an evocation spell dealing fire damage, then it, you get, uh, you know, extra damage or what was it? It gives you 10 resistance to fire. Um, yeah. You know, so there's like, I, I love the flavor aspect of it because it again gives you that idea of, you know, I'm not just picking random spells off a spell list. I'm like, I'm building a, a, a specialty within, you know, the magical world of what I like. That's my signature spell. Again, kind of like, you know, cribbing from um wizards the and, sorcerer and the sor- or, sorry the sorcery yeah <laughs> yeah um i also want to mention that they do bring up uh that some of them are the summoning hand scroll or the warding tablets so they don't have to be books they can be a variety yeah. of other different means by which to uh to learn your magic yeah i mean technically like anything that has writing on it is pretty much good to be a, a grimoire depending on if you're fair you know yeah depending on if you're you know how much writing you really want to do because i'm sure those tablets it's probably pretty difficult to put you know a hundred pages worth of stuff although apparently they hold a hundred pages of spells so yeah magic you write very tiny little do you know it's a it's a it's actually just a kindle and there's like a little like arrow to page through (laughs) yep remember that all of you wizards playing in iron gods um (laughs) You want to tackle the magical tattoos? Yes. Okay. Unfortunately, so Rachel's not here. To I know. I was like, this is tattoos. this is Rachel's jam right here. Um, so magical tattoos um, are basically permanently invested items. So mm-hmm. getting a tattoo on you, um, there's a new feat to allow you to craft tattoos using crafting. Um, and mm-hmm. they do take one of your invest uh, slots for magic items. Um, and they they give you various abilities um, and they have different costs and everything. So they, they still follow normal item levels. They're just permanently attached to you and short of you actually like, you know, destroying them or removing them or some of they're, they're permanent. Um, but I like that they have a lot of interesting ones on here um, mm-hmm. because they talk, there's a side blurb on here about cultural tattoos talking yeah. about like the, the various kind of groups and what they use tattoos for. Um, so, like, it, it talks about Shawanti and when do Shawanti get their tattoos and what kind of magical tattoos do they like to get. So, there's a, there's a, a good bit of, like, lore attached to the tattoos, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, the one that I know that Rachel would, would love the most is the familiar tattoo, uh, oh, yeah. which lets your familiar go into the tattoo, like uh, Gus does for uh, um, Tyrant's Grasp. There it is. On, yeah, Darcy yep. and Tyrant's Grasp. There you go. Uh I also want to mention that there's the uh, the rune of sin in here, and oh my I love gosh, yeah, back to uh, to the rune lords. So yep, yeah, th- there is not a lot of of tattoos on here. This is very much laying out the groundwork for yeah. what the magical tattoo system looks like. 
uh, more so than it actually giving you like a ton of stuff. There's only what three tattoos in this. Yeah, there's only three tattoos that they they list out. I think so, and I think again, like you're saying, it kind of opens the door to them using that more in the future. I know there's a couple places where you can get a variety of different feats that give you arcane tattoos and stuff like that. So I think being able to get them just tattooed on you and not saying, well, I got the tattoo also and now need to use one of my feats is a good and interesting way of going about it. Yeah, I could see an interesting like role playing thing of like, you know, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, mystical person offers to give you these tattoos of protection. Yeah. And like, so now like your adventuring party all sports these really cool tattoos that give them something. And you don't have to worry about like the extra, um, or the free archetype system or, you know, potentially unbalancing people with treasure or anything. It's kind of a nice other thing that you can give to them. Yeah. So, uh, after that we have what I am going to say is my favorite system in this book. I agree. And that is the personal staffs or staves, depending on how you like to pronounce it. Uh, I am not one to be any judge of pronunciation. <laughs> the, again, when I was talking earlier about having a book and the importance of a spell book to a caster, you cannot underestimate the importance of having a staff to a caster. And this actually allows you to create a personal staff which is basically, uh, how do they phrase this? Establishing magical pathways to turn a simple piece of wood or metal into a staff is no simple matter. And then kind of goes into, here's how you can make your, your custom staff around a single trait. And that's kind of the beauty of it. Oh, yeah. Where it's an iconic part of fantasy casters. And then it allows you to create a staff that's just like, here's my staff and my trait is fire. So it's going to be a variety of different spells from burning hands to wall of fire to fireball. And as long as they maintain that trait in capital T, as far as the traits concerned, it's fine. So it, it is a beautiful melding of the system where the traits have already been established in the mechanics of the game. And so it just takes that to the next step and goes, well, here's an item that you can craft, that you can upgrade, that you can keep building with you as you go and give you these additional spells. Yeah, that's the that's the God. really like the really awesome part of this is it's personal. Like yeah. emphasis on personal like other people can't use it. It is your, you know, staff. I mean, I guess other people can use trick magic items, but like, you know, it is your staff. There's actually like a, a number of different feats that you can get to like merge it with other items if you you know, want to do that so it can like transform into the staff versus your spell book or something like that. But yeah. it's the fact that it's upgradable that I think is really cool. Cause like you, the, the baseline staff you can get at fifth level um, or the staff's level is fifth level and then 160 gold, but you can continue upgrading it. It goes through the entire system yeah. of how you can, you can continue crafting the staff and working on it, changing out the spells. If you decide you don't like them, things like that. Like it's, it gives you like, you know, like I imagine like, you know, there's like you're at camp, the you know, the fighter is sitting there like sharpening their sword and then the wizard is just like working on the staff. Like it gives them like the little project that they can do during like those little bits of downtime. So it's yeah. it's super flavorful. You say working on the staff and all I can picture are those like um yeah, the depictions you always see of like the Jedi floating up in the air with their legs folded with the lightsaber assembling in front of them. Oh, yeah, because it's like it's exploded out yes. and they're tweaking something. Yeah, <laughs> Working on my staff. Yeah. <laughs> God, I love that. I, I just love this system so much because it is it is that perfect blend 
of mechanics and flavor. Oh yeah. And that is what this book hits on so often that works so well for it. So uh, I don't know who at Paizo is responsible for this, but chef's kiss. Yeah. I was going to say this one is also good because it does give you extra spell slots. So, Hey, that's true. So if solves, you didn't uh, feel like you had Jessica's enough spell slots, yeah, I was like, Jessica, yeah, <laughs> Jessica complains about not having enough spell slots. Personal staves is the way to get, you know, making your own staff will give you uh, two extra spell slots per level, you know, depending on. Um, so it's it's going to be behind what the number of spells you can cast. But if you're like, hey, you know what I could do? I could use some extra magic missiles because I'm going to focus on force as my, uh, you know, uh, trait focus. Yep. So let's go ahead and uh, get through these last two here. Alrighty. Uh, so next up are spell catalysts. So spell catalysts are what's the best way to kind of explain these? Um, Additional material components. Yeah, they're basically <laughs> yeah they're basically extra material components that you can add to certain types of spells to give them additional effects. Um, so for instance, if um, you know I want to upgrade the wall of force that I'm going to cast, there is an item here called force tiles that if mm-hmm. I put that as part of casting that spell, it increases the power of the spell, in this case, making it go longer and higher. Um, so it's it's kind of an optional system that is a yeah. way to supercharge your spell casting. Because again, you don't have a ton of spell slots, so you really want to go for a huge impact when you're throwing a fireball. So like this is something you can put in for extra fire damage or what have yes, you. Yes, if your regular bat guano isn't working, grab some fire starter pellets as described compact pellets of bat guano and sulfur and magical accelerants. Yes. <laughs> it's, Regular it's, bat crap it, is not good enough. I was going to say it's literally, it's literally like you flicking a marble of explosives at them at that point. Yep. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're really, in, they're really flavorful stuff. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely um, the kind of items that like it, it gives you that idea of like, I'm doing something different. So like, uh, you know, for instance, one of them is like noxious incense. So it's like I'm lighting a stick of incense and casting this spell to enhance it. So I think that yeah. I think the flavor of them is really cool and they're yeah. reasonably priced. Like I, I definitely think like for the levels that they're they're at, like they're actually reasonably priced consumable. So it's not like you're going to break yeah, the bank have, just because they do magic. I could have sworn that I'd seen them in something before. Really? Oh, I don't know. I don't can't remember seeing them before they all felt new to me maybe i were totally wrong well not these specifically but i think like the uh the general idea of these consumable additional material components but i could be wrong yeah i have no idea but uh yeah so there's uh, again this is one of those like it's introducing a new system and they give you a fair number of them but they're all very specific to specific spells (laughs) or specific types of spells um so there's a lot of room for expansion uh, in the in the catalyst uh, department. Yep. And uh, so after that, you have the spell hearts. Uh, they're kind of simple to sum up. They're basically talismans, but they're not consumed when they're used. Yep. Permanent uh, talismans. You can slap them on. Yeah, you can slap them on armor or weapons, and you get different benefits depending on what you slap them on. So, like something might give you, you know, I slap this on an item, and it gives me, you know, armor. It gives me two resistance to negative energy. But if I slap it on a weapon, it does negative energy damage. So, it's an interesting item that you can use offensively, defensively, and uh, yeah, I think that I think they're an intriguing option. They're also not particularly powerful. Yeah, and so I think they fall into that category of making 
fun, versatile rewards for, you know, quests. If you don't want to be like, here's this consumable thing. So, yeah. um, so you know, consumables, consumables follow after that have a couple uh, different consumable options there. And then there are some permanent items that follow after that. Uh, don't know if we want to skip over those and jump into the uh, book of unlimited magic, unless there's something that jumped out at you. Uh, I mean, there's some interesting stuff in here. Um, I had not seen any of these before, so these are all new magic items. Yeah. Um, and uh, they they run the gamut. But one of the things I thought was really interesting, so I'm going to call it out, is uh, a 12th level item called Phoenix Flask. Uh, this is, you know, 12th level, so it's going to be pricey. But uh, once you ingest this strongly spiced glowing red potion, blazing wings of a phoenix sprout from your back and carry you through the air. <laughs> For one minute, you gain a fly speed of 40 feet. The first time each round that you fly, including to hover in place, you shed burning feathers that deal 3d4 fire damage to all creatures in a 10-foot emanation at the nice. end of your movement. And I'm just like, dude, that is so cool sounding. <laughs> like, that is just a cool magic item. Yep. Um, the only other thing I'll mention is that the deck of illusions does reappear in here. Yes. So if you're missing your deck of illusions, it is in here. Uncommon. Uh, so let's oh, see. Uh, actually, there's another one in here because I, I remember I was talking about this at dinner with Jess. That is like the, my ideal witch item. <laughs> it's super witchy. Shortbread spy. Uh, without reading the description, it's basically a little cookie. It's a magical cookie and you ice it when you want to activate it. So I guess it just comes with a little like plastic squeeze tube of icing. And if you give it little eyes, it runs off and does its own thing. You don't have to control it or anything. You don't even give it a command. But it'll come back to the place you activate it like uh, a time later. And then whoever eats the cookie, you get to see everything that it went and saw. Oh. So it's kind of like it's kind of like prying eyes, but you don't get to control what you what they see because it even mentions like the time is muddled, so you may know okay, there's this like great green thing, but you don't know what room it's in or anything like that. So I kind of like that yeah. because that was the thing like we've, we've talked about before. Like we we love prying eyes and those kind of spells, but it, for a podcast, it kind of, it's kind of game-breaking. <laughs> like, well, it's not even necessarily game-breaking. It's just boring to listen yeah, to. It, it if just, you just explain what's Yeah, it's coming. like, it's it's one of those things. It's like it it... We'll, one, one, we're going to forget everything unless you just reveal everything on the map for us. But like, it's, it's. Let's have the GM expose everything we're going to fight in the next, you know, dungeon or whatever. So it doesn't make great radio. Yeah. Uh, all right. So here is the beast that is chapter five. Oh my! Uh, I think we're going to need to make a, a quick run through this as we're already scraping up on the hour and thirty minute mark. Oh gracious! So uh, it's just let's so much. Do a quick. Let's do a quick run through on this and then we'll jump into some questions. We'll probably be able to answer some questions pertaining towards this in the questions that we've gotten. So uh, I suppose a quick little back and forth on this here is uh, there are numerous new forms of magic. There's the uh, cathartic magic, which is a new form of magic that basically lets you harness pent up emotions uh, to enhance your magic. So, in essence, if you're playing in a game where you're dealing with a bunch of fear effects or something like that, cathartic magic. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's it's interesting because it's positive and negative emotions. Um, so, if you want your cathartic magic to be based on like joy or something like that, like those are those are included as well as like negative emotions like hatred yeah. or anger or something like that. Fear, anger, hatred. These are the <laughs> all those dark side things. Yeah, um, it, it is worth <laughs> noting. There's also a blurb in here about um, 
like I guess being respectful towards the way that you express um, cathartic mm. magic because it is a little it can feel a little you know attacking like if you're based on anger and you start snapping at your your fellow players like how does that get handled so um, you know it, it's the one system in here that I w you kind of want to be cautious about just because of how it can become a little problematic at the table but I mean yes. if you can get past that it's actually a really interesting system yeah I mean because you can also do things like pride and remorse and stuff like that yeah uh, there's the uh, elementalism which is uh, basically you focus on elemental arts so and it includes new druid the, orders much to it Jess's does include pleasure. new druid orders your uh, your flame order your stone order and your wave order Yep. which is fun yeah so that's it gives you a little bit more flavor you get some new druid feats that go with that um so it's pretty interesting um it a lot of these will start with uh with giving the new system and giving some new rules and then they start with like a dedication for an archetype that fits into that so yeah. uh, this does then give you uh this gives you druid orders this gives you monk stances mm -hmm. uh a elemental spell list so if you want to just build an elemental uh, an elementalist build, this would be how you do it. Um, you don't necessarily yeah. have to follow just one element, so it lists yeah. like all the different elements. Um, and it's a pretty pretty big list. But then gives you oh, like yeah. the elemental magic uh, or elementist class archetypes. So mm -hmm. um, they've got, you know, the standard feats and dedication and everything for that. Yep. Uh, and just to mention, the cathartic magic is uncommon. Uh, the elementalism doesn't have a listed for it. Nope. So. It's common. That then brings us to flexible preparation. I find this intriguing. Uh, it, flexible pre preparation is, uh, sorry, uh, it's a representation, represents the culmination of spellcasters research and experimentation. Uh, basically, it lets you have a greater level of flexibility with a prepared spellcaster at the expense of fewer spells. I, I basically would say it is. It is as close as bringing the Arcanist into yep. second edition. Like you, you get less spells, but you get a greater flexibility in how you cast them. Cause basically you prep like a wizard cast, like a sorcerer. Yeah. So it's intriguing. It I is find it, uh, very I find interesting. It fun and interesting. And uh, they actually kind of delve a little bit into how it works uh, in world also with uh, Rahadum, the Magami and school of magic, etc. So yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's not just uh, you know, wizards because it can be druids, witches, clerics, any of them. Yeah, so pretty much any spellcaster. Like yeah, it's kind of like the arcanist, but you can use it for any of the prepared spellcasters. Yeah. Um, let's see. There's geomancy, which is taps into the terrain to give you different benefits depending upon the terrain that you're in. Um, allows you to even like, uh, how do they phrase it? Simulate the energies of a diff of a different terrain. Yeah, it it's very interesting. Like it it feels very druidic, but it gives you yeah. um, like the geomancer dedication gives you like at higher levels the ability to like literally command the earth to change and like swallow up people or something like that. Like it's very flavorful in what you can do. Um, there's uh, what's where are some of the other ones? Um, that it gives you um well, it gives see. you a variety of different things that you can do you know as far as like whether you're tied to the plains the sky or swamps or areas in between there's also a uh, an attunement shift feat 
which allows you to cast a spell and then shift your attunement to that different thing. So if you're, I'm a mountain druid, but you know, now I'm way up in, you know, basically the, the peak of the mountain and the GM's like, well, this is more snow really than it is necessarily mountainous. Or if you've gone like far enough into the Arctic, you go, ha ha, I cast this cold spell and now I'm cold themed uh, for one minute. But <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Cause um, I, I like the flavor of it. Like I said, it's especially good for, for druids to, yeah. it, it doesn't give you like, you're not an earthbender you know no. kind of a, a flavor it's it's much more like almost spiritual mm -hmm. so it reminds me a little bit of the ranger's favorite terrain options yeah and yeah. much like the ranger's favorite terrain you if you do go down this right route you will have to accept that sometimes you're just not in your terrain <laughs> yep yeah that so is it, that is part of it it's probably something that is much more potent if you know where you're going to be if you're saying playing i don't know mummy's mask I'm desert. probably going to be in a desert a lot. Desert all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, that one would be easy. It'd be much more dif difficult if you're doing like, uh, especially an overland journey one where it's like sometimes you're in the plains, sometimes you're in forests, sometimes mountains. Like, yeah. That it, this one is is a little bit, uh, maybe the to get the most bang for your buck, it's going to be a little situational. Yeah. Uh, following that's the ley lines, which are interesting. The ley lines are actually a rare option uh, where... Basically, it is the idea of the, the magical energies existing along these lines that create flows of energy across like spider webbing across the world and across the plains and across the plains. Yes. And so it's. This is one of the ones that if you're a player. Must be really coordinated with the game masters. Yeah. Uh, in large part, because if your game master doesn't want to deal with ley lines, then. You know, obviously, it's not going to be an option that he's going to allow because it is a rare option. And in addition to that, it has to be something that the game master wants to really involve. Because otherwise, if he just goes, well, yeah, you're not on a ley line here or, you know, this it doesn't apply in the situation. Then if there's not a balance to it, it feels like something that if it was the key focus of an adventure. Would be a great mechanic to have, but outside of that. Might be a little touch and go. Yeah, because this is about like tapping into the ley lines and drawing power out of it, yes. which can be bad or good depending on how well you roll. But mm -hmm. yeah, if you can't find a ley line, then this doesn't apply at all. Yeah. And they have like hit on ley lines a number of times through the adventure paths previously, uh, prominently in a couple of them. But usually they're not in, they're more of a, this is something that's explaining why this magical effect works this way or why this thing is happening or why these druid orders are here and not necessarily so much of you're tapping into it, which could make a very interesting twist on it. Mm -hmm. I do like that. They took the idea of ley lines and like they give you sample ley lines and mm -hmm. they have different attributes. They have different levels, um, different effects that they do. So it gives you this idea of like, it's not just one spider web of quote unquote magic. It's like you can have a haunted ley line or you can have a energy ley line. Like you can have these kind of flavors to them, uh, mm -hmm. which I thought was pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, it, it also gives like a ritual for empowering a ley line. So I can feel like it feeling more like something that should be a campaign attribute and not like something that you as a player just go, Hey, I want to do ley lines. Yeah. Uh, Sleepless Australian mentions that uh, Paizo should release a map that shows where and how the ley lines crisscross Galarian. Oh, that would be I cool. I agree, would be very interesting. Um, that would be interesting. 
my experience with the Paizo, uh, a lot of the Paizo writing staff is they, this is not a, a negative statement generally pertaining towards them, is they like to leave the doors open. Yeah. They're like, I don't want to pin down specifically where these are in case I want to go, I want to do a game set in Night All. And I want to have it set in this one specific city and I want it to be, you know, the shadow cultists are corrupting the ley line there. Yeah. And, and they have, a, they have some blurbs in here about locating ley lines and it's very yeah. generic. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things that's like, it's supposed to be hard to find the ley lines and tap into them. So it's not, yeah. you know, they're not obvious. Like you can't detect them without like doing some research and doing some work. Uh, following that's pervasive magic, which can be summed up by the phrase magic everywhere. And you get some magic and you get some yep. magic and you get some magic. It, I feel like this is more than almost any other system in this game. This is rare. And mm-hmm. in large part, because this means that the entirety, the entire structure of magic in the world is changed. Yeah, so more or less. Your setting is going to be grossly different if you choose to have pervasive magic where there is magic all over the place. Like Galarian has a substantial amount of magic, but this would be some place where magic is every day. Like yeah. it immediately made me think of uh, my hero academia as so many things do where it's just like, what if every day, one day everyone woke up and had magic powers. Yeah. Or like the dark sword <laughs> series or something like that. Where like yeah. the, the picture that it shows like in the, at the header for the pervasive magic is somebody carrying home their groceries and they're like, you know, they're levitating the basket of goods, you know, because the, the system is like full on, like there's different magical backgrounds. There's new feats for it um, that tie it all together. But it literally says, in here that if you try to do this for one player you're going to need to do it for everybody because it is like a a breaking system it requires you to adjust encounters for with creatures like the idea is literally everybody can cast spells basically (laughs) yeah they do dive into some areas in galarian in the inner sea that are subject to pervasive magic places like you know starstone isle isle uh the eye of dread so on and so forth, where there's these these spots that are pervasive with magic. Um, that being said, I also think it's, I think I mentioned this to you, Jordan, also, where I think that this would be a way to begin to broach the idea of doing something mythic related as well. Yeah. Is it's a system that you could give people just more casting, more magical powers. Just more. And use that as something broaching on them more. Uh, use that as something broaching on the the edge of mythic power for anyone who's playing uh, Wrath of the Righteous right now and getting some ideas. No spoilers. I haven't played it yet. <laughs> but <laughs> no yeah, no. Yeah, no, but uh, it, it's, this is like one of those systems, like if they put on an adventure path where this was like a major system, I'd be really down to try it and just see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, following that, and unfortunately, again, we don't have Heather here for this. There's shadow magic. <laughs> I was going to say, this is, this is Heather's system she'd like to have. <laughs> so, yeah, where you, uh, quote, surrender the piece of a spellcaster's soul that keeps out the darkness. <laughs> yep. And in exchange, you get some shadow abilities. Yeah. Uh, it, goes interest- it goes into, like, some of the shadow casters, like their origins in places like Chiliax and Geb and Nidal, of course. Uh, although also Socorus, which is interesting. Um, but I mean, there's a whole bunch of evil in Socorus, you know, after the whole world win thing. Yeah. Uh, and Ustalov, of course. <laughs> yeah. And there's so, a Shadowcaster archetype. I was going to say that this, this, this system is basically just the Shadowcaster archetype. Like it, it's yeah. opening up an entire new like archetype and how to play it. Um, it is 
it's uncommon. We'll start with that. It's very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. I, 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 the flavor wise, like, yeah, you kind of have to be a little dark. Um, for it but like you can get your own familiar and you can get like a bunch of shadow specific spells when you get the dedication like it's got some some great flavor built into the archetype that i really like well i mean if you can look at the uh the spiky boy on page 227 and go that looks like my type of character that's heather's type of character yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh she she likes is uncommon so it's not rare but uh it is uncommon yeah, it's one of those things though. Though, like it, it because they give you some places where it's pra- it, where practitioners of of shadow casting um, are. It's one of those you could argue it becomes common if you're in Chiliax or you're in Geb. Yeah, it also delves into uh, Shadow Familiar, which is kind of an interesting thing too. Yep. Uh, and Shadow Companions let's... actually, you can also get Animal Companions. Yep. Uh, there's Soul Seeds, which are also rare. They're a uh, how do they define these? Uh, magically attached to a creature's soul, then grow beneath the magic in a similar fashion to relics. Are they obols? Like, would we consider obols basically soul seeds? I mean, could be. Yeah, kind of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and again, they kind of come in different gifts. So it's just like you know, here's here's your dragon gift is you know a, basically what they're kind of defining this as right here. I think it's more of an example. Um, if they wanted to expand on this, they could easily branch it out into things other than just like. Here's a cool dragon thing that lets you, you know, grow magical horns. Yeah, uh, this follows the relic system. Souls, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, if you like the relic system but wanted it to be a part of the character, uh, something more akin to maybe an opal, uh, for those of you a little bit more familiar with those from uh, Tyrant's Grasp. There's the soul forged armaments, which are uncommon. Ooh, I uh, I like this one a lot. I do like the character art because it basically makes uh, uh, the iconic paladin look like she's Iron Man. Uh, yes. Assembling around yes, her. and it's snapping around her. Yes. Yep. Um, yeah, it reminds me a lot of the... What are they called? It's an old 3.0, 3.5, 3.5 supplement called like items of legend or legacy items or something it was an entire system built around the idea of these like legacy items uh this reminds me a little bit of that where it's you know bound weapons and armor to the forger's soul allowing the forger to manifest their armor armament at a moment's notice um even bring forth their true form yeah it's very much the you also have to tie them to some kind of a mission or a goal or a yeah. you know a dedication so you have this like this kind of downside of if you don't follow that it, there's like negative effects that happen if you deviate too far from your mission you go too long without moving towards it um so they mention like it's it's a you know a lot of paladins have soul forged armaments because you know they they have a righteous mission that they're going after yeah uh, it also reminds me a little bit of the uh, the magic items that uh, uh, they introduced. This is right towards the tail end of first edition. I want to say it was uh, or for the crown. They introduced the system of uh, items that are basically legendary items that as you accomplish things like tasks, kind of mm-hmm. like uh, mythic accomplishments, that it would unlock additional abilities for the items. And uh, Finder of Paths and Stars says it was legacy weapons. I know it's it's on my shelf back there somewhere. Uh, yeah, 
they it was the same kind of concept. Uh, it was not as well thought out in 3.5, and I feel like this is balanced a lot better. But uh, there were some times in 3.5 that they were you know throwing spaghetti at the wall. Yeah, this uh, this <laughs> like yeah, this system is is pretty well defined. It includes like you know how to upgrade the the armaments, so it can be a weapon or a um, piece of armor or a shield or something like that. Oh, what if I want to dual wield weapons? Yes, you can dual wield weapons. You know, it, it goes through a yeah. lot of those kind of like edge cases of things. Ooh, Soulforged Inventor. That's I was gonna, I, I was gonna say, goblins. yeah, T for goblins. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I like the idea of that because, yeah, the the idea is this is a weapon that lives in an extra dimensional space until you call it forward. Mm. Um, so it has that like cool ability of like, you know, uh, we're in danger, and I steal my resolve, and my armor appears, and you know, then I can do cool <laughs> stuff or whatever. Like I, the flavor on this one is just like really good. So I'm, I'm definitely thinking like maybe a Soulforge champion in my future. <laughs> yep. Uh, so that we can get to the questions because we're running a little long here. Uh, quick rapid fire. The last three are the Thessalonian rune magic, which for anyone that loves Rise of the Rune Lords or any of the Rune Lords related stuff is fun and interesting. Uh, basically dividing your magic into sins and tying them to the magical schools, except for divination, as we mentioned yep. earlier. And this this gives you the archetype to be a Thessalonian mage. You can choose yep. your um, your sin, basically, and it gives you all the the what you can't take and everything like that. Mm hmm. There's the true name magic, uh, Thessalonian rune magic being rare, true name magic also being rare. So is the following one. Uh, so don't expect to see a lot of these. Uh, true name, which is uh, allows a practitioner to learn the secrets of a being's inner nature, granting them incredible amount of leverage to compel that creature into service. It kind of gets into the whole idea of, you know, binding outsiders and controlling things by knowing their true names. Yeah. Uh, that general fun stuff. Yeah, they, they have changed it to make it a little bit more difficult to do the true name system yeah. um, from a flavor perspective, so that's why it's uh, rare. Yep. Uh, there's the Wellspring Magic, which is also rare and more or less is a... Uh, how do they define this? Uh, Blessing Curse uh, grants a deep infusion of magic, potentially allowing the casting of many spells, but also at risk of out-of-control Wellspring surges as the power becomes too much to handle. Basically, it's a little bit of chaos magic, so mm. it has you doing periodic checks to you know flat checks and if you roll low then you have to roll on this table sometimes the stuff is good sometimes the stuff is awful you know yep they do specifically call out that the ravaged mana waste may be a good place to uh, use the style wellspring magic for those of you getting ready to do the uh the akinstar adventure path yes that I'm might so be a fun hyped. idea to, to add a little bit of chaos to your lives <laughs> yes. a little madness yeah and that's that's it. That kind of sums up uh, everything in the book. There, shall we? Uh, shall we answer a couple of questions? Yeah, let's go. Let's go for questions. So, uh, if our chat here has any questions for us, go ahead and uh, throw those up in the uh, uh, chat. And in answer to uh, T for Goblins, is Iron Man a magical girl? Yes. Depending on the version of Iron Man, yes. I don't know. Tony's pretty, uh, pretty fantastic. No, no, no. I, I'm not saying like if it's Tony or Ironheart or anybody, but I'm talking like what version Ironheart, of his yeah. armor he has, because uh, whenever he has the armor that just like appears on him, then yes, he's most 100% a magical girl. You know, if it's the yeah. one where he's like opening the suitcase and getting onto it, man, maybe. So um, let's see here from our discord. We had a question from caps. What is your favorite class archetype? 
Uh, mine would be the. Honestly, I, I think I'm actually going to have to go with the flexible preparation. I like the idea of bringing back something like the Arcanist. Yeah, I was going to say, I like that one a lot. Um, I also like the summoner archetype. You get the mm-hmm. Edelon. It's actually it's actually pretty well balanced. Like you don't get to do two actions when you're searching and things like that. So like they've kind of balanced it out. But you do get an Edelon. So you know if you wanted to just have a little bit of of that um, as part of your class, you can you can do some pretty interesting stuff with that. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yep. Uh, what is your favorite? Uh, or sorry, which class archetype introduced mechanics that most surprised or intrigued you? Uh, I honestly, I'd say probably cathartic magic. Yeah, like the idea yeah. of tying emotions to your magic is is very interesting. And it's I very um like, like it, it feels very occult. Like it's it reminds me a lot of um oh gosh, what is the book that had like the kineticist and occultist and medium and everything in there from first edition? Uh, the occult adventures. Occult adventures or not occult adventures? Uh, yeah, the occult book. Yeah, whatever that book was, it, it reminds me a lot of that. Where it's like you, you it was because it talked about like you don't cast uh, your spells with like verbal and somatic components. You cast with like emotion and and mental uh, powers and stuff. So it reminds me a lot of that. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite non-combat spell and why? Uh, mine is pretty easy. I I'm gonna have to give it to uh, time jump. I know it can be used combatively, but again, it's time magic. I mean, come on. <laughs> I think time magic is just a good enough excuse for why that's my favorite. Um. Okay, I'm going to limit myself to what's in this book because I don't have a complete memory of everything. Uh, um, I mean, this is a question pertaining towards this book. Uh, okay, fair enough. Um, the, if there's a question not pertaining towards this book, you won't get an answer. That's fair, yeah. Um. Oof. Non-combat. Um, okay, this, this is a weird one, and I think it's kind of fun. Uh, it's Seashell of Stolen Sound. So you uh, basically store a sound in a seashell, so like you can use it for like overhearing a conversation, and then you can play it back. Um, so I like the idea of like, you know, we're, we're eavesdropping on this person and we're, we store the, the conversation in the seashell and then we play it back for the, you know, captain of the guard or something like that. Like I, I just, I find the flavor of it's really interesting cause like they used a seashell. So it's like a, one of those conch shells that you can hear the ocean in, you yeah. know? Yep. So you can fight over the conch until someone gets hit over the head with a rock. Piggy. <laughs> There's my second short story. Well, it's not really. No, that's not a short story. That's That's a full on book. I don't think that's a hundred year old book either. So I don't think anybody drinks on that. one. It doesn't count. Um, So next question, a question from chat uh, Revcon. Hey, TJ says, uh, what magic additions slash variant rules would you each add to your home games? Ooh. Good question. My, I think my gut reaction would probably be the soul forged armaments. Yeah. I love the concept of that. Uh, and particularly if it gives me an opportunity to create, you know, more fun NPCs, if I can make them intelligent. <laughs> nice. Like, hey, yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Um, uh, 
Yeah, I think for me, I'd actually, I, I, I would do perversive, uh, pervasive magic, because um, I'm kind of curious about that. Because like Soulforged armaments, um, it's good for your melee, um, not yeah. as useful for casters. Whereas like pervasive magic is kind of just good for everybody because it gives you like cantrips and things like that. So generally useful. Um, also because apparently I, I just like myself and want to have to redo all of my encounters to add innate magical casting to everything we fight. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that is the one downside to that system is it's a, it's a lot of rework. Uh, let's see. Which of the Eidolons would you want to have in real life? Oh. I'm going to say beasts. You like beasts? I'm, I'm an animal lover. And so, uh, you know, just the giant, I've also always, uh, every time that I've thought about making a summoner, especially because they don't have them in, uh, Pathfinder, I've always wanted to make a displacer beast because oh, I nice. loved nice. the displacer beast as a, as a monster. And so, you know, six leg Panther with tentacles off of its back. Yeah. That, that sounds good. That sounds like a suitably weird summon creature. Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh my gosh. Uh the the tinkerer in me, the engineer uh in me wants to say construct because I like to fiddle and tweak with things. Um if I didn't do that one because um you know now I'm uh uh married and don't have as much time to fiddle with things. Um <laughs> dude, dragons are rad. Like sorry, like I just want a dragon. <laughs> There you go. Get a dragon. You get them large size. You ride them to work. Yeah. Rad. Uh, Sleepless Australian asks, if you were going to add one of the systems introduced in this book, which would you add to any of your characters? So I guess to a character specifically. Ooh. I'm going to have to go back to the well of Soulforged Armaments. If we're talking Dark Moon Vel for Grim. Ooh, Yeah. Yeah, you know, Grim with a, a traditional like his hammer that he brought back from the Forge of Torag, uh, giving him a whole quest thing to really justify that hatred of kobolds. Uh, oh man, yeah, that's <laughs> rad. No, I I would have done um, four Octavius Soulforged armaments and given mm -hmm. him like just this like incredibly ornate like uh, gr uh, great sword. And be like, this is what I fought in the world wound with. Ah, like it would have been yep. really cool. I could also see, uh, you know, not not so much for uh, Octavius since he's already a spontaneous spellcaster, but for any of the the prepared spellcasters for the for the rest of the gang, I'm sure that Jessica would definitely like if you know Hollis could switch out spells on the fly, not switch out spells on the fly, but basically prepare and then cast like a sorcerer. Uh, although then again, I guess if Hollis really wanted to do that, she could. She could have just been an arcanist. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dizzy Dwarf asks: With the introduction of the Magus and, to a lesser extent, the Summoner, do you feel like they finally have the Gish character design covered? Is there something more you would like to see? What's a Gish Honestly, character? Yeah, like the the hybrid characters. Um, Honestly, yes. Yeah, like because they I, have swashbucklers, like, you have witches, magus, summoner. Yeah, I feel like the the only place where they kind of missed the beat a bit was Warpriest. I I think that Warpriest could have been a little bit better than just kind of a subcategory of cleric that just gets the armor that cleric was already getting previously, and 
they could have gone a little bit further with that. But there are ways to make, you know, a Gish type, you know, cleric warrior. So, yeah, with with the archetype system and doing dedications like it is. It's pretty easy to do a a hybrid if you don't find one of the ones that you've got. Um, you can do a you may not get the level of depth that you would have gotten from like the hunter class in first edition but you can do a druid ranger build <laughs> that's true uh this one's maybe a little cruel uh, <laughs> if, it's, if it's the one in chat stars. i'm reading that thank you so much for that <laughs> right when lucia inevitably dies what would you play if you're limited to this book? <laughs> Thank you for the vote of confidence. I can see that I've I've shown myself to be a capable swashbuckler. Um, no, if uh, I, if we, I hope that Finder of Paths and Stars it, does expect it to be a very dramatic death. First, first off, going out in style, there will be a death soliloquy that will be 20 minutes long. Y'all wait. Um, no, I, I, but. <laughs> <laughs> really shattered. Oh man. <laughs> oh man. Um so I I'd, I'd be conflicted. Um I I would probably go with the summoner. Um mm. but god it is a hard decision because Magus is also really cool. Um but I'd probably go for summoner. I mean, for um, that group, Magus could definitely be a benefit, though. Yeah, I know. If you're talking about the the Ravens from our, our Hell's Rebels, uh, for anyone that's not familiar with our Hell's Rebels. Yeah, that, that's why I was conflicted, because I'm like, oh, we do need like that front line, but like, the summoner could yeah, be your, front line. Your most you know? martial character after Lucia is the rogue. And while, while Niccolo is very buff. <laughs> yeah. He is your most martial character. He is a fighter's rogue. rogue. It's true. Yep. T for Goblin says inevitably dies to her own actions. (laughs) That's why I get a 20 minute soliloquy because I know this is coming. (laughs) That's fair. She will get a posthumous hero point, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) Can I apply that to my next character? (laughs) You can apply it to your next character for the first three games. (laughs) Oh, goodness. Uh, I I look forward to your summoner with a giant silver raven that you fly around on. Oh uh, man, that'd be too just on the nose. Oh my gosh, that'd actually be really know, that'd good. Be pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, just beast with a giant raven. <laughs> yep. Uh, Grotus, hey Grotus, asks, what is your favorite unexpected archetype? Unexpected archetype. Hmm. Well, I mean, there were the various class archetype options. Um, again, the cathartic magic really caught me off guard when I read it. That's kind of the first thing that springs. Yeah, to geomancy had the same effect with me, where I was like, "What geomancy? Geomancy? That was unexpected." Yeah, I was gonna say, I think geomancy for me was unexpected. Yeah, and to be perfect, I didn't know that the uh, the soulforged options were going to be in here. So probably the soulforger archetype would be one of the most unexpected. But again, a lot of these were unexpected. A lot of this was. I I was gonna say because like I I I did go reading into this book blind. Like I didn't I didn't read any of the spoilers or any of the previews or anything. So. Uh, a lot of of the Book of Unlimited Magic, I was like, "Huh." Okay. I will say that if you are playing a Soul Forger archetype character, I do think that you have to use the announcer voice from Soul Calibur. Oh yes, <laughs> considering like you know, I use Soul Flare. <laughs> the abilities are amazing. Soul oh, man. Arsenal. <laughs> uh, uh, getting a little punchy now. Um. So Gil Nord asks. Will it have actual summoner conjurer archetype? I don't really believe that. I know that the summoner does touch some on uh, like 
summoning other things. It, it does, but the summoner is, I think, a little bit more focused on your Edelon. Yeah, um, it's a heavy you, you can Yeah, you can still summon stuff. Um, you know, of course, you have access to the full spell list of your tradition, but um, it it feels very much like they... Like, you don't get, like, extended summoning where you can summon things for longer periods or anything like that. Um, so that is... I guess something that if you liked that about the original summoner, or you liked that archetype, they don't really have something that kind of approximates that quite yet. Now, notably, there are a lot of summon spells in this book. So if There's that is so many you're looking to go, then this is definitely a book worth picking up. Including summoning kaiju. Summon options. Yeah, summon summoning kaiju. kaiju. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Quark. I'm either going to say, eh, let's go with 12,000. Quark 12,000 says, what's a research check? This is a research check. A uh, research check is where we delve into the uh, the books that come out and we take a look at things. I'm assuming that that's what you're asking. It's also a reference to uh, first edition and the library mechanics. So Yeah, um, we, we tend to name our series after <laughs> spells um, yep. or mechanics within the system. So yeah, so research check is the basically like... Um, we don't call them product reviews, but like product discussions. Of, product, yeah. You know what? We are not unbiased. Uh, yeah. We are actual partners of Paizo, so I don't think we can be considered unbiased. Uh, also, we were originally going to call these recall knowledges, uh, but then a certain other uh, Luis Loza uh, swept in and then used that for his own podcast thing. So, friend of, uh, friends of the pod, Luis. And Eleanor, who we've never actually had on the pod, I believe, is, uh, is his co host on that. And uh, I'm not 100% sure on that. I might be wrong. Yeah, but know. anyway, go and check that out also uh, over with our friends over on the uh, the No Direction Network. Uh, let's see. Automator asks, what's the best secret of magic? Uh, how many ridiculous things that there are in chapter five of this book? That was probably the biggest secret that caught me off guard. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it was. It, <laughs> I'll, I'll give it to that. I'll also give it to like, I I kind of thought Secrets of Magic would just be like kind of rehashing a lot of the like favorite spells from first edition. Totally not the case. Like brand new stuff to play around with. So that was a big surprise to me. Also, <laughs> personal staves. Personal staves was a huge surprise. Yeah, that that made me so happy. It that, it almost almost makes me regret playing a dwarven. Actually, you can well, still have a dwarven a, champion. But I was gonna say you can still have a yeah. staff. technically speaking no oh well next character next time i'm going to be an old dwarf with a staff so get ready to see old dwarf magus (laughs) (laughs) yeah yes be be a be a magus with the staff um hybrid study that also it's your personal staff like you're doing that thing where you're like you're you're hitting them with the stick and then you're like haha electric arc or whatever (laughs) so Hadrian asks what lore or metaphysical bit do you find the most interesting uh, I know it was addressed in the core rulebook one I think someone reminded me that in the chat but I remember that from before but honestly just the the opening segment where they tie in all of the your traditions and your schools and the um you know, basically the essences, like they tie all that in together, like on a metaphysical level, I just found that very intriguing. 
Um, yeah, kind of piggybacking off of that, I liked the some of the metaphysical explanations of what exactly a summoner does that it was related to like the essences and how you're like you construct the body out of these different essences and that's you know uh, like that essence determines what why you cast off of one spell list or the other like i liked that explanation because it had kind of felt like am i gating this like or am i like you know summoning this person and they're just like there like are they an actual person like you know i like the idea of like well they're an actual person but i build their body you know yeah you know legend I, I make my own imaginary friend which explains why suddenly sometimes i summon one time i summon them and suddenly they're large size is because i've leveled up and can do that but you know yep. from a in-world perspective it's like i think they should be bigger and so they are um <laughs> uh, lewis asks what's your favorite new druid order stone i love doors mm, yeah i gotta give it stone <laughs> Yep. Oh, I'm, it's all coming together now. So I'm thinking time traveling, like ancient dwarven druid with a, uh, I don't know why I'm doing the Sean Bean, like one does not walk into Mordor, but time traveling ancient dwarven druid with a staff of the stone order. It's all coming together. It's merging now. Yes. I've got a plan. You're going to make us start a new show now. <laughs> <laughs> I have a plan if Grim dies, just another old dwarf shuffles in out of the woods. <laughs> <laughs> it's Grim's like great grandfather. Where's Grim's my great grandson? <laughs> uh, Eagle Knight 64 asks, What new spell are you most excited to use? Summon Kaiju. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if if I could use a spell. I know I'm going back to the same well over and over and over again, but it's a good well. Uh, cast into time. God, such a good ability. It's basically just boot you out of the fight for a second and cause some bludgeoning damage while I'm at it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's also, the I was going to say, that really any of the, the summoning ones I'm really interested in because there's another one that you summon an incarnate <laughs> version of uh, Aditi's Herald. So mm. I like that because uh, I... I don't know if we've talked about it before but we've done in i think two adventure paths we've we've gone into the final dungeon and been like we're summoning in the herald of a deity that's been cool with us as <laughs> like uh or we're gating in the herald or something like that like we've we've done that and i like the idea of just like a way of doing that without having to go through the the kind of rigmarole of of using gate and you know convincing them and everything <laughs> fair enough uh Highbane is I go to, I'm going to go with that that pronunciation. Highbane asks, "What will be the tenets of the neutral paladins?" In answer to your question, I just did a fine word search on this PDF, and at no point does the word paladin show up in this book. Champion, try champion. Ah, uh, it's true. Champion. It might not be specifically. To say first paladin. off, it would be ch- it'd be a champion. Um. Thing. Wait, first off, what would a neutral champion be called? Is that the one that's just called champion? I mean, maybe. I Is it called like the balancer? <laughs> yeah. My my tenants are, I cannot care too much about any one thing. I mean, there's a cool thing where they talk about uh, champion, champion. 
They talk a little bit about champions in the Soul Forge sections. Yeah, I think that was the only place I remember yeah. uh, reading that there was anything about the champion. So, ah, uh, well, no true neutral champions. Assuming Yet. that you're meaning true neutral, considering, you know, there are already the, you know, the neutral good champions. And uh, so you have options. Yep. But Trilink, I get the feeling that that was a reference that I missed. Oh, well, Trilink asks, what do you think of the concept of, quote, bounded spellcasting, end quote, as seen on Summoner, Magus, and their archetypes? Again, I find it's pretty well balanced. Uh, I would have to actually see it in play, but I think it's a, a more elegant solution than having every class have its own spell list or restricting them to just up through six level spells. Yeah, I mean, that my initial reaction was negative just because I was like, but you're losing spell slots. But yeah. that's, you have to balance the fact that you can do other stuff. And that other stuff is like practically a class in and of itself. So in the case of like a summoner, like you could basically make your entire class is just, I summon this guy and he does cool stuff, you know? But, um, so I, I want to see it in practice. Like I, I know I've had some personal problems when it comes to uh, spell management in second edition from some of the stuff that I've played, but um, I'd be curious to see how it works when you're doing like a bunch of other stuff. Sure. Uh, Gwat, sorry, Gwat, there's a question mark in there, asks, what is your favorite option from Book of Unlimited Magic? Uh, not necessarily the book we're reviewing, but in secrets of magic, uh, yeah, again, the, uh, basically the return of the flexible preparation arcanist is probably my favorite option. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think Uh, that's the one that I was like, good, excellent. Yes. Uh, are there any combinations of those options that you want to play or run in a campaign? Uh, honestly, I think the flexible preparation would be pretty balanced. I would need to I'd need to really dig in before I would, you know, want to see that run necessarily in a campaign. Yeah, because um, it, it does cut down the amount, the number of spells you have. And if you're a primary caster, like, is that have a huge impact on you? Yeah. Uh, and arguably, like, I would love to see an adventure path that involves the ley lines. I think that that would be interesting to get into the ley line mechanics. So uh, that's what I would like to see in a campaign. Yep. I'd also like to see pervasive magic. Uh, Brolil uh, asks, what is life? I mean, as the book defines it, life is something. Let <laughs> 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 me go back up to the uh, essentials of magic chapter here real quick, and I can tell you exactly what it means. That's, that's, that's one of our four essences? Yes. <laughs> um, it's, a, it's one of the four essences. Oh, God. I, I remember how we said we couldn't reference this. I can't reference yeah. it because it's like literally not in a bullet point <laughs> for me. <laughs> Let me just prove the point, but um, yep. yeah, life is like the binding force that animates. Might be a good way to describe it. It surrounds us, penetrates us. I was just saying, it's together. the force. You know, it's the yep. force. Uh, my answer would be uh, life is being kind to one another and leaving the world a better place. Uh, is that life or is that the purpose of life? I mean, why not both? I see, them as tied. Why not yeah. I see them as intrinsically tied. Uh, Crimson Nexus responded, baby, don't hurt me, uh, which that is love, actually. So <laughs> not love, actually the movie, but that is actually love. Uh, I am the Senate S. What 
options from this book will each of you use when you make your characters for strength of thousands? Ah, God. I know I keep going back to the same old well, but I'm saying time traveling student of the Mogambian school. (laughs) I, I, so I I would do a kind of weird build um, as is my want. Um, I would like to do a summoner, but then focus on the gravity spells that they have. So they've got a number of spells that uh, impact uh, gravity or gravity and magnetism. It's, it's like a cosmic build kind of, it feels very starfinder. Um, but I like the idea of being like, like one of them is like, you can just attract stuff to you and being like, I don't want you to have your dagger anymore. And just like, I can just like basically use, turn it magnetic, like I'm Magneto and just call it to my hand. Thought that'd be really cool. Yeah. That'd be fun. That would be fun. Uh, Crimson Nexus asks, does bonded spell, bounded spellcasting, uh, count as basic expert and master spellcasting for purpose of rogue eldritch trickster i don't know the answer for that that is a suspiciously specific question (laughs) and no i have no idea yep so uh i'm gonna say unfortunately i do not know the answer to that one tweet paizo i'm curious now uh ragnarok and roll great name asks is dinosaur fort in the book uh, I have searched and the word dinosaur does not appear in this. No, the, yeah, this doesn't have any dinosaur <laughs> spells. Um, so no dinosaur form. It has a bunch of other forms, but not dinosaur form. Was dinosaur so, form uh, in the core rule book? Might dinosaur core... fort. 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 I might have I... said form, but fort. Is oh, okay. I might have uh, no, you. that was a, I believe that was a joke from uh, PaizoCon a couple of years back, but Pastor Jason Bowman. Uh, which I think they originally trying to put dinosaur form and then they put dinosaur form. Ah, uh, graph and the boys. Asks, hey, what do you think about the positioning of magic in terms of power level? I feel that it's shifted from quote, best in class, but limited usage PF one to something else. It's much weaker in terms of effect. Most casters are just worse in combat than martial characters, even when they're using their best combat spells. It feels like instead of casting is more of a utility function. Do you agree? I think it depends on the exact situation. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're fighting against something that is more vulnerable to magic, if you need range, magic provides you those options. I don't think that hands down a spell will beat out a spellcaster will beat out a melee fighter every single time. Like would happen once you get to high enough levels in first edition. So a lot of it it's it's very situational i think as a rule spellcasting is not as powerful in second edition and yes. whether or not that means that it's brought it back into line with the strength of non-spellcasters could be debated yeah yeah because I, I remember mark seifter talking about it and saying like in first edition magic had a pair like a an exponential curve right where you mm. like your your fighters on like a linear uh line of of progression in terms of their you know damage output and the like whereas magic that you kind of start well below and then you eventually eclipse and go like well beyond what uh, in one attack you can do way more damage than what a fighter can they have not de-emphasize magic, but they have made magic um, to where, like, the attack spells do a ton of damage, like, just a ton of damage, but you can't do them as often. So you have this, like, idea of, you know, 
I have this kind of like this this signature thing that I do, like Electric Arc. We, you know, we've done this in a couple of different shows now. Like Electric Arc, it scales with you. That's the part of the linear progression that you're kind of on. But you also get these like, you know, kind of big boom things that you can do whenever you really need to crank up the heat, you know. The the thing I will say, and and it's I think Jess's big complaint in second edition is from a utility standpoint, magic doesn't last as long. So mm. it one of the weird things about it is like um I'll, I'll use the spell befitting attire as a good example um out of this book befitting attire cloaks you in an illusion f of appropriate attire for wherever you are right so like you're going to a fancy party it only lasts for an hour which is very long by second edition standards most things last one minute to ten minutes but it's one hour and it affects five people but if i heighten it it affects 20 people but still lasts an it hour it just increases the number of people it affects yeah and, and yeah. it's one of those things like i i kind of looked at that spell and i was like I feel like that should have been a longer duration if I heightened that spell, but that's just me. So, like, that kind of aspect, especially given the fact that you spend a lot more downtime in between fights, like patching each other up with, uh, you know, treat wounds and things like that, that it, it there's a feeling like... It, I remember, like, we would go into a dungeon, we would cast a bunch of stuff that had, like, two-hour durations, and then we would, you know, go through the whole dungeon, and we would be thinking, we can't really stop because we've got to keep going because we've got these, you know, buffs on. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the opposite now, where it's, like, it's kind of encouraging you to, like, to think more about, like, what gets you through one fight. Like, you save those those kinds of magics for the really bad fight, and then the rest of the time you're just using, like, your cantrips. Yeah, well, and anything that has a longer duration, it I always like, and this kind of shows that, you know, we're both sitting, we're sitting on opposite sides of the screen here, where I love any time that it becomes a difficult choice of whether or not to go. This spell only has a duration of 10 minutes. So if we stop and patch ourselves up and all the rest of that, then my spell's going to wear out. And so you then get into the, you know, wizards pushing to keep going where the fighter's saying, hey, this guy just broke my shield. Um, I mm -hmm. need to stop. Uh, so I love any time that it forces a difficult choice between two options and requires the players to think basically to ration resources. And I love the idea of time as a resource. So. Yeah, I think that it's the quintessential problem, though, of I think this even comes from first edition of fighter never runs out of sword, but you can mm -hmm. run out of magic. So like it, it runs into that resource management thing where you don't really have to do the same level of resource management if you're playing a melee fighter as you do if you're a, a, a caster. Yeah, I mean, you could make the argument that fighter runs out of hit points. And yeah. cleric eventually runs out of spells. So everyone <laughs> yeah. has a resource that I'm the circle of magic. <laughs> yes, it does move us all. Uh, and hopefully that answers the rest of Graf's question pertaining towards that. There's um, he also states that he feels that there's very little differentiation between the traditions that primal is basically the same as arcane. Um, there was a I can't remember who said it. Um, when they were talking about the creation of second or of second edition, talking about the core rule book, they talked about how they wanted to make almost every spell available to more than one tradition. They didn't want a spell mm -hmm. to just belong to a single tradition. Um, and so sometimes I think like spells being in like three traditions at a time might kind of fall into that category of, is it too common uh, does it mean that, you know, your arcane spellcaster feels too much like your divine spellcaster, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
I don't necessarily think this book does a lot to fix that, but I'm not 100% sure that it's a problem in need of fixing. Yeah, because I know there's there's debates on forums all over the place of what's the best tradition and who you know which tradition well, has the best not, spells. Not even and all getting that. into necessarily the best, but getting into each tradition having an independent feel. And I think that on the whole, many of the spells, if you're looking at like 90% of the spells, are going to be a little universal. And I feel like a lot of classes differentiate themselves with their focus spells, where those mm-hmm. really get the feel of the class. Uh, but it's definitely an argument worth having where, you know, there is a lot of blurring the line now between what classes have uh, what spells. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think they kind of like there is some call it metaphysical kind of explanation because you have the four essences and the commonalities between the traditions sharing like an essence with another tradition to where you can make the argument that like this spell primarily casts off of mind. So that's why it's on arcane and occult, you know? So there's, there's a little bit of a, of a get of a kind of in world explanation for it. But yeah, I mean, it's, you don't want to have the, the problem of, you know, I, I really want to have, you know, this killer spell, but it's only available on the primal list and I'm playing a wizard. Like I, I, I know that that's one of the, probably the frustrations that people have, but you know, there ha- the unique parts of it is the flavorful spells like yeah. um like one of the new, new ones is uh on the um uh primal list is like mud pit it's a yeah. very like primal feeling kind of spell like i like those spells it's just whether you personally take them or not of how differentiated they really are uh crimson nexus also asks if there's any new class subclasses or feats for the cleric uh, there are a lot of new options for the cleric. Um, Lots of new spells. I don't spells. think that there are any class feet, although there are a lot of you know archetypes that you could easily tie into for the cleric. Again, a cleric magus would be really interesting. Yeah. Um, as far as like new um, new domains or um, what are their subclasses called? Uh, clerics. Like with the cloister cleric and the war priest. Yeah. I don't remember uh, what don't that's called in front of me. Yeah, I don't yeah. remember what that's called, but like there's none of that new stuff. Um, so it, it's really based on the archetype system um, for you getting any kind of like unique flavor. Or Someone anything. says doctrine. That sounds like it's doctrine. Close. Yeah, that seems that seems about right. Yeah, I, was <laughs> like, I, I know doctrine means something <laughs> in to a to a cleric. I just don't remember what it is. Yep. Um, so rapid fire, a couple of things in here real quick is. Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, I've already answered that question. Kind of already answered that question. Uh, what do you think of the new art style? Like I said, the border kind of throws me and the art style is a little bit more cartoony. They did limb dirty in this one. Um, there's yeah, a, there's limb, a piece, there's a piece really with limb in the front. And like, I don't, I don't like the way that they structured his face. Like he has like, like utterly square jaws and it's just like a little, too exaggerated i guess like yeah. I, I just looked at it and i was like i do not like how they made Lem look yeah he's he's got some uh some very prominent like it, it almost makes me think a little like frankenstein your prominent jaw yeah uh no i'm, I'm honestly you know sorry paizo the the artist is incredibly talented uh but the art style is not my preference yeah there there is a lot of really good pieces in here but there were definitely some that were less successful than others uh 
Drolf Deer asks, is it possible to make the Shadowcaster artwork more edgy? Is edgier a word? Uh, I think edgier is a word, and I think he's about as edgy as it gets. I mean, he's got full on uh, like spikes and a whip spike chain, and like I mean, he's he's short of like the actual like you know pinhead spikes in the face, which he may have. He's got his hair in front of his face, but I don't I don't know what else you could really do. Yeah, uh, Dolph Deer also asks how long until we get the Lost Omens planes and the AP picking up uh, the story on. Uh, Mm-hmm. looks like uh the good elemental lord of air is out uh and the others aren't so on and so forth you know i think they explored a little bit of the elemental stuff in uh one of the latter seasons of pathfinder society and burst edition i would be very interested in seeing a planar adventure path that focuses more on the planes uh that would be a lot I of can, fun i can tell you from my knowledge it is not in the books right now I was going to, yeah, I was going to say, and it's not in this book. So if you're thinking it's in this book, it's not. Uh, God, we've still got so many great questions, but, um, people are really excited about this book. Yeah. Myself included. We are running long on time. So, uh, I'll go ahead and give this, uh, last one to, uh, (laughs) finder of paths and stars. Uh, not quite a secrets question, but if you had unlimited time and money, would you do another podcast and what would it be? Um, if we had unlimited time and money, I'm pretty sure we would be six out of six for doing this full time. (laughs) 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 I mean, if I can be a Jeff Bezos level billionaire and play this for a living, like, oh my gosh, yes, this would be a dream. As far as the next show, I... (laughs) It depends on when you ask us because it's it's I mean, there's so many good APs right now that we would love to play. Um, we had one point talked about doing like a Starfinder adventure path, um, which we just don't have the time for. Um, so, I mean, sure, <laughs> I guess time willing. Rick willing to edit all of that. <laughs> <laughs> it's really Rick's the constraint on, on the shows. There are only so many hours in the day. Well, there's also only so much time on the weekends because, like, I like yeah. after doing like two two hour recordings, you're pretty much burned out for the day. Like, it's hard to do three. Yep. Um. Yeah, I mean, my thought process on it is, uh, I would find doing something Starfinder interesting, uh, especially the new adventure path. I think it's the one coming out right now that involves uh, settling a new world and like the mysterious circumstances. Oh yeah, the Kingmaker in space and- one. Yeah, basically. But yeah. It's, uh, it's very interesting. I've actually read through some of the first books, so I'd be intrigued to do something with that. Uh, honestly, my follow-up answer to that would be if you were willing to back us to that extent, uh, wonderful patrons back are out there. Honestly, I would have no issue throwing up a poll and saying, what do you want to see from us? And delivering on that. I don't think we uh, want to start a civil war in the fan base, but because that would probably be a pretty good way to do it. <laughs> See, the trick, the trick is, here's the key trick. You ask everyone, you ask, you send a file out, and then you ask everyone to pick in the uh, their ranking from one to five. Oh, rank voted. The ones that they would like to see. And then at that point, at the very least, you're probably getting somewhere in like your top three. So it's like, you know what? It's not the one I wanted, but it was my second choice. That's fair. That's fair. I'm just saying it's a fair, it's a fair and balanced way to do that. 
So everybody so, back us until we have unlimited budget and we can make that happen. <laughs> we don't need unlimited budget, just a few million. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to, I was going to say studies have shown at a certain point when you start making uh, more than a certain amount of money, it doesn't make you any happier. So, Hey, yeah. As long as it keeps the IRS off our back. Uh, yeah, honestly, I think uh, a few million. Yes, please. Yes. Uh, I think that probably wraps things up for us. Uh, sorry for any questions that we didn't get to. Hopefully we managed to answer most of those in the chat, just going through things. I think we were uh, fairly, uh, fairly deep into that. Uh, actually, the, there is one last thing in there. Uh, yes, uh, quick shout out to uh, also Finder the Paths and Stars, however, not here, but on our Discord, uh, we did see the Lose the Path spell. Um, I, we don't take that as a personal insult, but we're watching you, Paizo. I mean, it makes sense, though. <laughs> if there was a Find the Path, there can be a Lose the Path. There's many a time I've wanted to have my you know, people tracking me lose the path. So, hey, you know, <laughs> speaking from experience. Oh. Yep. <laughs> Although now lose the path as like the, uh, you know, we have the find the path and we have the episode shows and then our, our bloopers or lose the path, the path. or lose. Yeah. The bloopers would be a fun or our outtakes. Like all the times we go off topic for like five minutes talking about something that's, it doesn't make it into the final episode. We just do lose the path. And yep. it's like where we went like, off, off topic. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It's, it's I kind of love that actually. It's just nothing but the sound of uh, of Mikey Heather's cat oh, yeah. in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Mikey is the loudest cat. Oh my gosh, love him to death. Uh, but yeah, that is a all. that is a loud cat. We love them all. Uh, yeah, I guess that's going to be it for us tonight. Thank you all for staying with us for this super long coverage. But this is a for super. not being as thick. This is a dense book. Uh, yes. I highly suggest that I very much enjoyed it. It's going to say two thumbs up must buy. Yep. It is. It is a solid thing. And uh, yeah. So uh, I guess that's going to be it for us. Thank you all for joining us this evening. And until next time, good luck, Pathfinders. Bye, Pathfolk.